Kia ora, e tihaua, me te whānau. Welcome, friends and family, to the Candid Kiwi podcast. I'm your host, Melissa, and I am the Candid Kiwi. Kia ora, and welcome to episode 18. This person loves movies, so I will introduce him with this movie quote. Let me know if you know what movie it is. I have the pride, the privilege, nay, the pleasure of introducing to you a knight side by night. A knight who can trace his lineage back beyond Charlemagne. I first met him atop a mountain near Jerusalem, praying to God, asking his forgiveness for the saccharine blood spilt by his sword. Next, he amazed me still further in Italy, where he saved a fatherless beauty from a would-be ravishing of her dreadful uncle. In Greece, he spent a year in silence, just to better understand the sound of a whisper. So without further gilding the lily, and with no more ado, I give you the seeker of serenity, protector of Italian virginity... The enforcer of our Lord God, the one, the only, Sir O. I mean, Drew Nakaya. Yay! <laughs> now, if you can tell me what movie that's from, I love you. And come with me and get to know my husband a little bit better. He's pretty awesome. And I think you'll think so too. If you just recorded, I wouldn't have known you were recording. Well, I didn't realize that you were going to be such a dork about it. <laughs> I don't want to wear the headphones because I don't like how I sound. Okay? No, nobody. So you're going to force me to wear the headphones? <laughs> no, I'm not going to force you to wear the headphones. Do whatever the hell you want. Nobody likes to hear the sound of their own voice. Yeah, but it, people still wear the headphones. Well, that's because they're good sports. You're the first person that's not wanted to wear the headphones. Well, that's because you probably haven't given people a choice. No, that's because you don't like getting bossed around because you you're stubborn. Have you given people a choice? Or do they just think, well, I don't really have a choice. i got to wear the headphones because <laughs> she gave me the headphones. So in the teen one, I have one of these kids and they're wearing the headphones the whole time and they weren't plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> and then so he was wearing them the whole time and he was saying the story and then I put them on and I was like... And then finally I clicked it on, and he was like, whoa, that's way better. <laughs> and I basically finished the interview. I felt really bad about that. Huh. All right. So you're going to wear the headphones or no? I don't know. Maybe. Are you just going to wear them like that with one ear on and one ear off? Give yourself some options. Yeah, you know, I'm feeling a little DJ-ish tonight, so maybe one on, one All off. All right. You never felt like a DJ. That's the first time you've ever said that. Well, this is the way DJs wear their headphones, so... <laughs> I wonder why they wear them like that. Maybe to, like, hear people? I don't know. Like, I don't why know do if it's a combination of hearing what's one off. in the machine and what's in real life. I don't know. Maybe they need to hear people screaming at them. Maybe it's a cool thing. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe one DJ started it, and then they're like, well, he's doing it. We got to do it. And now it's like a thing. If you're not doing it, you're like... What's that DJ up to? He's not wearing his headphones well, that's properly. that's not you, because everyone wears headphones when they're getting a podcast interview, but that's not you. So when have you been one to like do what everyone else says? Never. Well, that's true. I just like being able to hear my voice and how I'm sounding. Okay. 
Alright, are you ready? Are you just going to wear your headphones like that? Is it going to bother you? I don't care. Do <laughs> well, why do you keep you asking? Want. You always do whatever the hell you want anyway. So is that how you're going to look? You're going to look like that the whole interview? Maybe. All right. Okay. But it's only you and me. Yeah, it is. Nobody else can see. And my hundred listeners. Well, they can't see. That's this is true. a podcast. They can't. I can take a picture of us. It's not a video cast. No, it's not. Or whatever they call them. I don't know what they call them. All right. You ready? <laughs> Kia ora, and welcome to episode 18. <laughs> And this episode I have in front of me, the one, the only, Drew Nakaya. I can't believe you skipped the whole intro. Listen, I haven't had it memorized, all right? Oh, my so goodness. I didn't have it memorized, but well, I'm going to write it down. On... All right, folks, you're going to have to read the intro because she couldn't be bothered writing it down and rehearsing it. Listen, Drew is That's a movie buff. That's how important I am. <laughs> Drew's a movie buff. He loves movies, and if you know Drew... You know this, that he gets this voice and this face, and then it's co- it's the face and the voice of the movie quote. And to introduce Drew, I'm going to use a movie quote from one of our one of the coolest movies around, and you're going to have to try and figure out which movie that is. So, Drew and I, a husband and wife, we've been married for 20 years this year. Drew, That's a long time. It is a long time. It's a real long time. I don't know how we've made it. That's two decades. I know. It's a real long time. Once we hit 24, I would have been married to you longer than I was by myself. Mm. That's crazy. And when you're 22, you would have been married to me longer than you've been by yourself. Because you got married at 22 and I was 24. Bro. <coughs> We're going to go over this again? <laughs> I was seven days from my 23rd birthday... <laughs> You try and portray this cradle snatcher. <laughs> I was two years older than him. No. Listen, I'm a cougar. <laughs> You're regretting it now that we're in our 40s. <laughs> One year, three months. It's not three months. May, April, May, June, July, August. It's one year and five months. June 10th, July 10th, August 10th. I was born on August 3rd. Therefore, it's one year three months yeah whatever what do you think people i was born may 10th he was born august third third but she, <laughs> but she thinks it's august 2nd it was actually on some health insurance form she's like can you give me your birthday august 3rd 1978 oh uh, no that's not it <laughs> let me guess august 2nd 1978 yeah that's it yeah that's because my wife doesn't know my own birthday that's because Masaru's birthday is March 2nd, and I can't remember March 2nd and August 3rd. I get them mixed up, and so I have to sit real hard and pause before I know, and I've never been able to do it. If you ask me Drew's birthday, I can't tell you straight up. I have to pause and think about it, even after 20 years. You don't, but birthdays about... aren't a big deal to you anyway, so you don't give a stuff. But on important documentation, documents, you give us stuff. <laughs> Especially when you go into the office and say, I'm Drew Nakaya. What's no, your birthday? No, it's this. No, no, it's not. Wait a second. Did my wife fill out this form for me? <laughs> my brother one-upped you. He got, he got sick of the university calling, asking for money 
from the university that his wife went to. So he told them, can you stop calling me? She passed away. Oh, Mr. Nick, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we'll take your... Oh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> so then she went to get her transcripts to go to graduate school. Oh. And they said, well, we show that you're dead. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that is worse. Yeah, go on, Ryan. I'm sure when she went back and talked to Ryan about that, that wasn't a good conversation. Leslie wasn't impressed. <laughs> Hey, babe, so it turns out I'm dead. Um, I might have something to do with that. <laughs> All right, so we've been married for 20 years. I don't know your birthday. We've established that. I yep. suck at presents. You're good at presents. Why don't you tell everyone how we met? We met, I want to say, December 25th, 1999. We met on Christmas Day? Well, yes, but not in person. It was on the phone. I was mission companions with your brother Llewellyn. I think he got sick of talking to you, so he pawned you off onto me. And by mission companions, what we mean is, for those people that aren't Mormons out there... So a lot of Mormons. Ages, well, now it's 18 to, I don't know, 27, I think. You have the option to go on a two-year or 18-month mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I chose to do this, and I got called to uh, Kobe, Japan. Same with How'd you feel about Melissa's that? Brother. Awesome? Awesome. Yeah. Well, you're, let's bring this up. Your culture is Japanese. You're half American, half Japanese. Yeah. Your mom's from English, Scottish heritage. That's where you get your hairy hands yep. from. Yep. And my dad's full Japanese. So hence, I get, so, you know. Hence the good teeth. I was destined for braces from birth because <laughs> British and Japanese, I mean, probably the two cultures that have the best teeth on the planet. So how Meaning could I... the worst teeth on the planet. How could I be in anything but braces? They have good qualities. You have good skin. Just not teeth. Good brains. You just don't have good teeth. You do now, though, after lots of braces. Yeah, but my dentist still says my bite is, I think, atrocious is the word he used. Great. Yeah. That's great. Good bedside manner, Quinn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Quinn. He'll never listen to this, so it doesn't matter anyway. So, we, you were on a Mormon oh, yeah. mission in Japan with my brother, because he chose to serve for the church too. And you two were great buds. Yeah, so we were mission companions, which means you were with this person pretty much 24-7. Yeah, the only piece you get is in the toilet. Yeah, in the shower. A shower, yeah. Um, sometimes at church you can stray from each other, but it's usually not far. Yeah, it sucks. So, and you don't get to choose your companion. They're assigned. Yep. Could be anywhere from a month to... Six months. Six months. Yeah. Was my longest. Two months was my shortest. Yeah. So, you know, most of the time you either love your companion, hate your companion, or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Can't wait for a transfer, or you're sad about the transfer. Yeah. And with my brother... It was a sad transfer. Yeah. You two go along like a house on fire, right? We did. We got along really well. Things just worked, you know? <clears throat> I cooked. He did the dishes. It was just... We never really had to talk and 
say, you do this, I'll do that. It was just intuitive. Whoever was doing one thing, the other person did the other, and we didn't really have to talk about it. That's awesome. That's the best kind of relationship, man. Yep. That's way cool. So he was talking to our family. Yeah, so it's different now, but when we were serving, you could only talk to your family at Christmas and Mother's Day. Now you can talk to them once a week via Skype. Yeah. Yeah, this was just on the phone. I mean, this was before... Anything. This was before video Yeah. chats were even a thing. We're old. We're old. Our kids are like, what the crap? Yeah. I mean, this was last century. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking, and then me and you started talking. Yep. You drinking my water? Yeah. She's, she's a great host, host, by the way. No <laughs> snacks, no food. I brought my own water. I got which, tons of snacks which, back which here. she's now drinking. Yeah. Those aren't your snacks. Those are the mountain bike team snacks. I'm just <laughs> storing them. I'm just storing them. them in your podcast room. I'm going to have to show people what that looks like. No one's going to understand. I've got to take photos of this. Anyway, what were we talking about? Stop pushing your hands on the table. It makes a sound that I have to edit out. So what do you do? You thump the table. I'm not going to be able That's to more edit editing this out. for you. I'm not going to be able to edit this out because we're talking. Okay, so you were with you were with uh, Llewellyn. <laughs> you were with Llewellyn. Yes. And he was talking to me, and then he said, "You should talk to my companion." Yep. And so I started talking to you for about twenty minutes. And in that twenty minutes, couldn't get a word in. You edgewise. talked nineteen of those minutes because you're such a talkaholic. Mm. I hardly said anything. Yeah, I'm gonna say it was the other way around. It I was think the I other got about around. a minute, and you talked nineteen. <laughs> and I think your hundred listeners are gonna agree with me. Yeah, they know what I'm like. Most of them know what I'm like. It's true. What we talk about. Oh, I don't know. All kinds of things. Almost chatty Kathy. I was about to go serve my mission. Ask me lots of questions. I'd get halfway through answering them, and then you asked me another one (laughs) before I could finish. Oh, all right. Well, I guess she's not interested in that one. Too boring. Too boring. (laughs) Next. (laughs) But I do remember saying that I was going to come visit, and you said, yeah, I'll believe that when you're on my doorstep, pal. Sure you are. Nick Minute. Her who's game. on who's on your doorstep? You are. That's right. Because so, I follow through. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> so Drew's auntie Jenny, she worked for United Airlines, and Jenny has buddy passes, and buddy passes are basically cost. You get to travel on cost, and so to go to New Zealand was three hundred return. But what you have to do is it's only if there's a spare seat. If nobody shows up, then you can take their seat. And so back in the day, that wasn't really hard, right? Mm, It depends on the flight. And they've got access so they can look at the flights and see how full they are. My auntie's really conservative, so they kind of rate them red, yellow, green. I don't think she would take anything that was even a yellow. She just wouldn't Mm. risk it because she didn't want to get stuck somewhere or bumped somewhere. Mm. Whereas my sister and I... Yellow, maybe even red. Let's go for it. Let's do it. Would go. Yeah. That's awesome. And so Jenny had these buddy passes that were going to expire the end of the year 2000. Yep. Right? And you're like, yeah, bro, because you had finished your mission. Yep. I'd finished my mission. 
and then your mission was two years. My mission was a year and a half. So I went all of 1999 and half of 2000. So we actually took Christmas 1998 because I went uh, yes. on. I was in the mission that's, training yep. center in 1999. Yep, that's right. So it was, you were wrong. Yep. You're the numbers guy. I got was, that right. It was 98. I'm glad that we caught that on the microphone for everyone to hear for the rest of our lives. That you got well, numbers wrong and I got it right. Yeah, in my defense, it was because I was thinking You that always have a defense. I was always. on my mission <laughs> during Y2K, so that's why I thought that Christmas was 2000, but that Christmas wasn't 2000, it was really 99. That's where my math got a little fuzzy. All right, whatever. Okay, so you get this buddy pass, 300 bucks, you're like, bro, I'm going to go to New Zealand and visit my homeboy Llewellyn. So yep. you come home, I'm there, and we meet... In yep. real life. Yep. For the first time. In the driveway. What'd you think? <laughs> <laughs> She's a spitfire. Yeah. No, now, it was good. I've been dating straight away after Furiously. <laughs> Passionately. And Llewellyn had said, listen, everyone you're dating loses compared to uh, Drew Nakaya. No that offense, prob- Tony. That was, that was probably You're a like, true really? statement. No. No offense, Tony. Yeah, he's the best. But Drew came and Llewellyn's like, you'd be lucky if Drew gave you the time of day. And I'd be like, okay, for starters, he's American. I don't get into Americans. Secondly, I don't even know if he's good looking. <laughs> You're like a... You like some photos, you are real good looking, and other photos look like you were sick. <laughs> oh, so, so you're calling me a hologram. Yeah, you're a hologram. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> it's because I was working my tail off in Japan, and that's why I looked sick, because I was tired. <laughs> anyway, Drew comes over, we meet. I was a school teacher at the time, and I had a job, and I took him to one of my classes. <laughs> and the children... And that- was a riot. Yeah. And so the children meet him and they're like... It was Q&A time. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, do you have any questions for Drew? And the best question... Well, go there, for were, it, there, were a cu- there were a couple. <laughs> have you ever seen The Simpsons? Melissa, straight away. Yeah, he's from America. It's American, you dork. That's not what I said to a child, I'm sure. Well, minus the dork. Maybe. And then another one was, do you own a gun? Do you have a gun? Right? But the best. <laughs> yeah. The best was. Have you ever seen a dead body? <laughs> <laughs> and what'd you say? I guess America's the wild, wild west. And Listen, New Zealanders. Guns and dead yeah. bodies. and Yeah. That's all we see on TV yeah. in America, is you got guns and dead bodies and the Simpsons. That's all they needed to know. Okay, yep. you were too boring. You were from Utah. We needed you from New York. South side of Chicago. Yeah, that's where we needed you from. That's what they wanted, and they got this dude from Probably New York. Probably had more stories for him. They got this dude from Utah, I mean. Okay, so we go along, sort of. Then you went camping with Llewellyn <laughs> and shared the tent. <laughs> he took over most of the tent with his mattress. Yeah, camping with Llewellyn is like camping with everything but the kitchen sink. Yeah. And we're good campers. He takes everything. He's a good person to camp with. He's got so everything. So we get in the tent. He's got his big air mattress. Leaves me about mm, maybe four, 14 inches for my little mattress. Yeah. 
Some kind of in between the sidewall of the tent <laughs> and this wall of an air mattress on the other side. <laughs> Llewellyn <laughs> couldn't stop laughing. Sorry, bro, you got a great sleep. And then he locked his keys in the car. Uh-oh. But in his defense, I think that's a Nissan thing. Because oh. my sister had a Nissan, and it used to do the th- same thing. It would just randomly lock the doors. Weird. Yeah. Anyway, so we got along real good. Well, we hardly talked too much. And then you left back to America. Yep. We talked a little bit. We talked a little. That's when Drew told me that he prefers brunettes. <laughs> that was that first trip. <clears throat> Word, he of told me he Word of advice. Word of advice. Prefers brunettes. To all you single listeners out there, if any girl. Whether you're interested in them or not. Here we go. Do not tell them your preferences. Listen, it's okay. Because it could come back to bite you. Yeah. As it did me. Still holding on to that for 20 years. <laughs> well, I'm still going to be blonde. You're going to have to work it out. If something happens to me, he's going to end up with a brunette. Shout out to all the brunettes out there. And then you went home. And then I came yep. over to the States And you helped me to get to Utah because I wanted to see, have all my Utah dreams come true. And so you changed my ticket so I could get to Utah because I was going to Arizona to stay with some mates. And then I wasn't going to Utah and I was like, I really want to go to Utah. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to change the tickets around so you can come to Utah and then you can come home. And I was way stoked. It's not exactly how it went. All right. How'd it go then, homeboy? You were going to Arizona. Yeah. You wanted to go to Utah. Yeah. But the only people in Utah you knew were elders from your mission. Yeah, I don't want to stay with them. You thought that'd be weird. Yeah, because then I didn't want them to think I liked them or anything. So Llewellyn said, well, just stay with Drew. He'll show you around. Yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, sure. So we changed your tickets around so that you because you were coming for three weeks. Yeah, Thanksgiving and Christmas. No, not Thanksgiving. I was there before Thanksgiving. Just kidding. I was there Christmas, New Year's. Yes. I can't believe I spent Christmas away from my family. You spent New Year's with us. Obviously, my parents didn't care. (laughs) Well, my mum. My dad was already gone. So we changed your tickets. Sad buzz. Came to Salt Lake for a week. Had a grand time. Yeah, I show up at the airport. This <laughs> oh, homeboy's not even there. Like, he's all living his best there. cool dude life. And I show up at the airport after 12, 13 hours on the plane. No, no. Nice <laughs> try, sister. You'd already been in Arizona for two weeks. Okay, so, so a nice an hour, hour and a half plane. flight. All right. And then I show up hoping that there's someone there to greet me. I have to scour the airport to try and find where Drew is. Scour, schmour. I was right there at the gate. It's not like this is... Watching TV with your legs crossed like you weren't even interested in picking me up. Well, I didn't want to look too eager. Well, you didn't look eager at all. All right? It wasn't a good start. It worked out. Yeah, eventually, because I'm not easily offended. At least I was at the gate. It could have been 2021, and you're not even allowed at the gate. Yeah, I would have had to went all the way. Anyway, so we had a great time. Spent New Year's together. Started kissing. That was great. (laughs) Our first kiss, I thought was great. Drew thought it was horrible. Thought I was a crap kisser. So that was great. I kept him up all night and then he had to work all day. (laughs) That was the longest day of my life. I still remember that day. We were doing glass block. Man, was I tired. 
and then I get home from work, and guess who's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed because she slept all day? <laughs> Bro, I was in your basement. It's nice Wanna and play? dark. Want to play? Let's go. What do you want to do? Come on, let's go play. But what was good was I was great. It wasn't awkward. You said it was awesome, right? Yeah, because I could have came home to some really awkwardness. But? It wasn't awkward. I came and gave you a hug and a kiss, right? Yep. Rearing to go. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. I was mad keen. That's funny. And you were like, listen, just let me sleep. I can't do another lo- night like this. And I think we hung out for a little bit, right? And then you went to bed. Man, I don't even remember. Yeah. Anyway, then we had a great time together for the last, what, like three or four days? Yeah. Right? And then I went home and we started emailing each other. And we have a folder with all of our emails that we sent to each other that is in our daughter's room. And she's like (laughs) scoured through the emails. Who knows what the hell they say? Hopefully they're not Mm. like... We should probably look and see if those are uh, age appropriate. Yeah. Anyway, so we emailed each other. And then on American Valentine's Day... You asked me to marry you over the phone, which our daughter said is way lame, and I never, ever got a nice proposal. My son, with his homecoming invitation, did a better job at asking her to homecoming than what you did asking me to marry you forever. Okay. A little bit of background here. There's no background. We were talking about marriage, and you had been given a job offer. That would have obligated you to stay in the country until the end of the year. And we both decided, yep, take the job, save money. Yep. That's a good idea. Well, I thought about it, and I thought, nah, stuff that. I don't want to wait till the end of the year to get married. So I was going to wait until you came over in April, but you had to give your answer right away so I was kind of painted into a corner I had to ask otherwise you would have taken the job and then we wouldn't have gotten married in July so you ask me on the phone will you marry me and, and I this said girl yes straight away pauses pauses <laughs> the eternal pause Listen, I had things to think about man I had to change countries yeah of course jobs, I will everything So I had to pause. In that moment, my life flashed before my eyes. I was like, do you really like him that much? Is this really what you want to do? Like, do you want to live in another... (laughs) Do you want to live in another country forever? Like, is this what you want? And that was going through my head. Like, in that pause, like, everything. Everything. I had to sacrifice everything for you. That was the pause. And it was a well meaningful pause it was my life babe i'll allow it (laughs) so i paused but then said yes and then we were married july 27th 2001 and we saw each other that april yep came over two two weeks during your break and then you were supposed to come over two weeks before we were married why don't you tell us why you didn't come over well, I did come over. Only a week before <clears throat> we were due to be married. But I was flying again on my auntie's companion pass. I think it was Brooks, wasn't it? Might have been Brooks. Actually, I think it was Brooks. Uh, my sister 
by that time started flying for United. So I was flying on her pass. And when you fly on a companion pass, if you dress nicely and there's an opening in business class, then they will put you in business class. But if you're dressed like riffraff, then you're back in the cattle car. So whenever I flew... Which is the only flying I've ever known. So when I flew on a companion pass, I always wore a suit. So I fly into L.A., I spend the day with an old mission friend that lives in L.A., and then he took me to the airport because the flight doesn't leave until 10.30 p.m. from LAX. Late as. So I get there, I check my bag, and all I've got is my suit and my Mountain Smith that's got couple of wakeboard magazines, CD player. This is before MP3s and iPods and all that fun stuff. Apple and, music on your phone. And that was it. So I get on the flight. I'm in business class. I got my shoes off, got my feet up, got my orange juice. Flight's delayed 30 minutes. We're just going to wait here at the gate while they take care of a small mechanical issue. Sure, whatever. I got my orange juice. I'm doing fine. Shoes off. Well, in that 30 minutes, there was a flight from Canada that had misconnected. But because we were delayed and we stayed at the gate and they didn't close the door, somebody at United said, get all the non-rev passengers off the plane and get all these Canadian passengers on the plane. So I got booted off the plane. But my bags still went to New Zealand. So I had what I was wearing, my magazine... And my CDs. Horrible. And there's only one flight a day. So come back tomorrow. Try again. So I came back the next... So where did I go that night? Did you sleep in the airport? Oh, I did. Slept in the airport. So this is pre-9-11. Nobody hassled me. I could tell you which terminals have benches that don't have armrests where you can lay down. I can tell you where the Hare Krishnas hang out. I can tell you where to get food after 10.30 p.m. Hmm. Important. If you've ever seen the movie Terminal with Tom Hanks, that was pretty much me. Mm. I didn't have a cell phone, but I had a payphone. They had a number. It was, what, 15,000 numbers that we learned off by heart? So, Melissa had the number, and she would call me at prearranged times Mm -hmm. so that I would be around the phone. Mm -hmm. And she would call, and we'd talk and get updates. Gosh, it was awesome. So anyway, I spent the first night in the Terminal... Went back and didn't get on. Spent another night in the terminal. Came back. Didn't get on, but I met these other two Australian ladies. One worked for United, and she was traveling with her mother. And we were talking as we were waiting, and they didn't take any passengers because they were full. So they said, what are you, you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I'll probably just stay here in the terminal again. They're like, well, we got a hotel, so if you want to come over, we'll just pull the mattress off and you can sleep on that. We'll sleep on the box springs. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we do it all the time. Come on over. So this was day three in the same clothes, same suit. Gross. No change of clothes. I'm like, okay, I'll come over. So I knock on their door. They let me in, and sure enough, they pull the mattress off onto the floor. I said, here you go. And they hopped on the box springs and... <laughs> Way nice. That was that, yeah. Shout out to those two Aussie ladies. Went back the next day, didn't get on. But my sister was working. She had a flight that came in that day, and she had a layover in L.A. 
So I went and stayed with her in her hotel that night. Cleaned your undies? Yep. Went back the next day. Didn't get on. So I called my mom's brother who lives in Monrovia. He came and got me. And his wife says, all right, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow we're going to go to the store. We're going to get you a swimsuit. We're going to get you flip-flops. I got a book club out at Newport Beach. So we're going to make plans. And because you have plans, you'll get on. So the next day we went to Target. Got a swimsuit. Got flip-flops. We had dinner. And then they took me to the airport. And I got on. (laughs) Didn't have to go to book club the next day. (laughs) Meanwhile, it was super stressful on my end because... I had been planning our whole wedding and I had expected him to be able to come and help like two weeks before and be with me and he wasn't. And was he even going to make it? I was going crazy. It wasn't working out good and I was starting to think, I was starting to have second thoughts and I was starting to think this isn't meant to be. Like, And in my church, we get blessings, which might sound a bit weird to some people, but basically it's like a prayer that's said on behalf of you by a person who holds what's called the priesthood, which is something that is given to a person at the appropriate age. And what they do is they put their hands on your head and they give you a blessing. And so in this blessing I got from this trusted person, basically I was told, you need to just stop stressing out. Drew's the right person for you. It's going to work out great and you just need to chill out. It's basically what Heavenly Father said to me in a nutshell. And so then I calmed down, and then Drew made it a week late, but he made it. And we had only seen each other. By the time we got married, we only see each other in real life about four and a half weeks. Everything else was on the phone. And I did the majority of the talking, (laughs) and Drew did the majority of the sleeping on the phone. That's because there was always a phone deal long distance from New Zealand. Four bucks, was it? Nights and weekends. Six hours for ten dollars. Is that what it was? So you'd do that every weekend. You would call me, but with the time difference, <laughs> evenings or weekends didn't start until six p.m. New Zealand time, yeah. which is ten p.m. my time. Or midnight. And you go the full six it. hours. Yeah. That's four a.m. Yeah. And guess who wanted to take the full six hours? Get every penny worth. Us. You. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you didn't? No, you didn't because you slept. I tried, but I'm telling you, I'm not a night person. No, he's not. He's not. And I'm turning out not to be. I'm good till about midnight. Whatever. And then... After nine o'clock, you start fading fast, homeboy. Well, now. (laughs) So we did a lot of talking on the phone. That was our dating. We didn't date properly. I didn't get a proper proposal. No movies. I didn't get, like, holding hands. No mini golf. Long walks on the beach. No bowling. No, no flowers. Nothing. Just talk. Yeah. And we talked, and we didn't lie to each other. And so we got to know each other really, really well. Real quick. And so I'd like to attribute that to us not seeing each other for very long before we got married. I tell you what, if our kids did that, I'd be super stressed. Be very stressed. (laughs) My mom didn't see it as a problem. Your mom saw it, saw it as a slight problem. I think Susan was encouraging, quick before he changed his mind. <laughs> I think mom was happy to see me go. 
she'll never see <laughs> another kid out there living by themselves, not needing her anymore. That's the way my mum goes. She's like, good, well done, we'll see you later. Come back when you need to. Success. But not too much. <laughs> <laughs> nah, she's great. And then we got married I in New Zealand. Mom. I love my mum too. She's great. She'll be listening to this too. Sarah set her up with the app on her phone, so now she's got full access. So we got married in the New Zealand Latter-day Saint Temple in Hamilton. It was beautiful. I turned up late. Drew was stressed out. So I show up in the car. Andrew's like, come on, we've got to hurry up. Late, like 30 minutes late. What? Like 30 minutes late. I was? Not just like a little bit late. Yeah, like, but we were the only people getting married that day in the temple. They were way pumped for us. I didn't know that. They were like, it was not like Salt Lake, like they're pumping yeah, them out every 10 minutes. Like in New Zealand, yeah. we were it, bro. Like they weren't going anywhere. Like we were showing up that. and they were way pumped about it. They didn't <laughs> care if we were late. So Drew opens the door. He's like basically grabbing me going, come on, we got to go. I'm like, whoa, how about you chill out? Don't I look beautiful? And you're like, yes, you look beautiful. Now let's go. And I'm like, listen, it's just fine. So we go in, we get married. A little married. something about Melissa and I. <laughs> I like to be punctual. Punctual meaning five minutes early. Melissa likes to be on fif- time. 15 minutes late. That's not true. Yes. That's not true. That's very true. I like to be on time. And most of the time I don't make it. You're so <laughs> <laughs> yes, you like to be on time, but you never plan ahead to be on time. Drew gets upset. I don't think people care. I don't think it really matters. Drew thinks it's a sign of respect to show up early. And I don't think people really care. But Drew's slowly worn me down, and I'm mostly doing better. I'm okay. You're much better. But I did show up late to our wedding, so you did know I did ahead have of time fair warning. that that was who I was. And then we got married, and then we went on a honeymoon to... And the reception was awesome. Drew's mum came up to me and was like, man, this is one of the best weddings I've ever been to. And I didn't understand what she meant by that until I started going to weddings in Utah. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to hit some pretty boring weddings, Utah's the place to hit. No offense to everybody that got married in Utah. (laughs) Everyone's offended. But you all know what we're talking about. Yeah. Boring snoozerville and not good feeds. Finger food, freaking lines, like, nobody parties, dances, has fun, and we have fun. We danced, we had cultural performances, we had every, we had a haka, we had people singing, it was awesome, photos. Actually, we had so much stuff that Drew was like, when are we going to leave? When are we leaving? When are we going to leave? We were having a blast, we were having a good time. It was a good night. We had a fake cake, that was fun. yeah that was fun so a friend made the cake but it wasn't like it didn't really look like a wedding cake so mum asked the local grocery store downtown if we could borrow their plastic display fake cake for my wedding (laughs) they said sure so they brought it to the wedding and they put it out on the table and then one of our mates, Tina Brown, she, like, came. And after we, it was real awkward because we had the cake cutting part and we had to pretend. <laughs> Nobody knew it was fake except for us. Yeah, and we had to pretend to cut the cake. 
and not really. And everyone's wondering, why are they cracking up so much and not feeding each other the cake? And then <laughs> Tina came and got the cake, lifted it up like it was nothing with one hand and pe- takes it out. And it's like, what the heck's going on? And then all of a sudden, straight away, another cake's brought out that everyone can help themselves to. So that's a little bit of fun fact about our wedding. It's good tasting. Fake cake. It was a good cake. It was a real good cake. Sister Cripps made it. She is passed away. So then we went to Bali, Indonesia on our honeymoon. Super fun. Yeah, and oddly enough, I ran into two guys in the hotel lobby who were in LAX trying to get on the same flights that I was. Flying standby. They couldn't get on either. And I see them two weeks later in Bali. Small world. Small world, man. We had a great time in Bali, and we've been traveling ever since. So, that's the finish of the first question. It's like 42 minutes in. (laughs) We're in trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. This might be a two-parter. Yeah. This could be real bad. Oh, well. Okay, Drew Nakaya. A buddy at high school used to think that his name was Drew Nakaya. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that was my first name. He thought it was Drew Nakaya. So, every time he'd see me, he'd say, Hey, Drew Nakaya, how you doing? I could never figure out why he was calling me by my full name. It was very strange. But, you know, whatever. Rolled with it. Come to find out, it's because he thought Drunakaya was my first name. <laughs> <laughs> it's like me calling my buddy Tim, Tim. And his name was Nick. Two years. Two years. Oh, hey, I Tim. called him Tim. Yeah, thanks for that. Tim? Yeah. That's Nick. His name's Nick, yeah, thanks. My sister told me. She always couldn't stop laughing. That was embarrassing. Such a dork. I'm such a dork. All right, babe, you ready for your second question? Bring it on. Okay. Who is Drew Nakaya? Gosh, that one's... Don't get a little off guard. (laughs) Might have to do some editing here. All right. I can edit that um, one-minute pause. (laughs) Who's Drew Nakaya? Tell me about him. Who is he? I'd say I do what I want, but not in a negative way. I just... I am who I am. I don't apologize for it. I don't think I'm a jerk about it. At least I hope I'm not. If I am, somebody better call me out on it. Oh, I'll call you out on it. You're a jerk sometimes. It's true. I am. But I'm working on it. Yeah. I like the outdoors. Always have. Never really been into team sports. Probably because I wasn't ever any good at them. Played ice hockey for a hot second. Yep. You're good at that. That was fun. I need to get back on the ice. But I enjoyed snow skiing, water skiing, backpacking, rock climbing, all the outdoor stuff that Utah has to offer, mountain biking. Wakeboarding. Yep, later wakeboarding. I like movies. I like music. I love land cruisers. And I love my friends. Yeah, you do. What do you believe in? I'd say at the core, I believe in Jesus Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. He's the foundation of my belief system, who I am as a person, and what I do here on the earth is largely because of him and his influence in my life. Uh, I believe Jesus Christ is our Savior, and I believe that by following him, we will be better people, we'll be kinder to one another, we'll be more helpful to one another, and I want to follow his example. Tell me what your childhood was like. So you got a mum and a dad, English, Japanese, Scottish. 
siblings. Youngest of four. Older brother, two older sisters. Grew up in the same house. That your dad built? My dad built it. He was putting on the roof when my mom came out and told my dad that her water had broken with my sister and they needed to go to the hospital. He's like, yep, yep, be right down. Keeps hammering away at the roof. I think she had to come out a second time and said, Moss, we got to go now. <laughs> all right, all right. So Here he climbs, climbs down off the ladder and they go to the hospital. Brooke, they give birth to Brooke? Yep. So that would have been... When your mom gave birth to her. 1975, they built the house. So I was born and raised in that house. My parents still live there today. My childhood was awesome. Uh, I had great friends. Had four really good friends within two blocks. Um, and then a few others uh, in elementary school. So I have friends that I've known since we were in diapers. Mm. Amazing. My, my mom was good friends with Chris's mom. And so... We've been friends longer than I can remember. There's pictures of us hanging out that I can't remember. That moment. That moment. So we've been friends longer than I can remember. Still friends today. Um, and we still comment how it's difficult to find friends where we live today because they're not us. Yeah. We grew up riding bikes all over the neighborhood. We used to play guns. When we were little, there was a vacant lot kind of right in between our houses, and we built a fort there. Our older brothers, actually, I think Ryan and Adam and Matt, they started it. They built a fort there, and we kind of added on to it over time. And we used to steal power. Well, steel is probably not appropriate. They knew we were doing it but we would string power over from the neighbor's house and so we'd have lights out there we'd have sleepovers there cool um and it backed up to the golf course so we used to always go up running around on the golf course looking for golf balls and cool running around but there was always the course marshal that would if he saw you he would chase you off the course and so we had this one path back to the fort where we had dug holes and put sticks over and grass over it. We cut a big hole in the chain link fence, but then had another spare piece of chain link fence that was kind of cinched to the top where you could pull a rope and then it would it would accordion down and cover over the hole. I think we even had punji sticks in the bottom of a couple of these holes. <laughs> How nobody broke an ankle or got stabbed is beyond me, but I guess that's because we knew where the holes were. And we'd always go racing back and through the fence and shut the gate behind us, and we never got caught. Then junior high hit, picked up a few more good friends. Sixth grade, one of my best friends from high school, Jordan, moved in to the neighborhood. And Jordan was into hockey, and Chris and I were both into hockey at that point. So we hit it off, got along well. We used to spend, I think there was a couple of summers we used to play roller hockey up at the church parking lot. Every day we'd play roller hockey. We'd go up there in the morning, we'd play, come home for lunch, go back in the afternoon, play some more. So we'd kind of bounce between the church and Jimmy G's house, play a bit of Monopoly, cool off, 
back to the church for more roller hockey. All the kids in the neighborhood. And then, you had some good snow. We did have some good snow. And Jordan was a skier as well. And I grew up skiing. So we used to ski a lot. Junior high especially. We had really good snow that year. Eighth grade. The year my brother went on his mission. Poor guy. We had mountains of snow. There was so much snow at the house that you could walk down the sidewalk and you couldn't see the cars on the road because the snow in between the sidewalk and the road was so high that you couldn't see anything. It was probably six to eight feet tall. That's crazy. No, that's mostly because, you know, shoveling from the sidewalk onto the park strip and then the snow plow, so it made it taller. But there was easily at least four feet on the lawn. That's crazy. That year. And you made your own ice rink. We did. Uh, When my brother was, I think he was a senior in high school, he got the idea to build an ice rink. And this was back when the winters were a lot colder and we had a lot more snow and it was sustainable. So they they had a big um, sod roller. So they, after a couple of good snowfalls, they rolled out all the snow and then we just started spraying it down with water. Building it up, building it up, till we finally had an ice rink. And then every night you'd just, you'd play hockey and then you'd spray it down at night and play again tomorrow. That's awesome. Shovel it off when it snowed. Chris Cook and I, we always seemed to get home after school before my brother and his friends, probably because they were all working. So it was kind of our unofficial job to plow all the snow off of the, off the ice rink. So by the time they got home, they could come and play. So we played a lot of hockey that winter. But yeah, we skied a lot. And then high school rolled around, picked up a few more good friends that I'm still good friends with today. Even though we don't live close, we still keep in contact. No dramas. Well, I should say very few dramas. It's kind of funny. We had a we have a text thread with all my high school friends. and Matt, Dave, Pete, Dix. Jordan. Anyway, we were... I was commenting about, so there's a lot of my friends that are born today, Trent, Andy, Zach, it's Matt's anniversary today, so it's kind of a big day, so we were wishing everybody happy birthday and whatnot, and I said, you know, I see the drama that my kids go through with all their friends, and when I was their age, I never thought such drama was possible. Because you guys were so awesome, we never, we never had drama. Minor tiffs, birdseed and girlfriend's car, that sort of thing. <laughs> so we give each other a hard time. And we had uh, this one incident where Jordan's girlfriend and all of her friends thought it would be funny to... I can't remember exactly what they did, but we were all up at Matt's house, and I think they came and toilet papered our cars and put Oreos on the windows and... Anybody that knows anything about us, I think, knows that they made a big mistake. Because <laughs> we, don't, we don't do things half pie. So we kind of went back and forth throughout the night getting them back. And we went to the grocery store and we got a big 10-pound sack of birdseed. And we're like, all right, we're going to chase them down. We're going to find them. We're going to open their car. And we're just going to chuck this birdseed in their car. I thought that was the plan. Apparently that wasn't the plan. Oh. But I did it anyway. 
Jordan got super pissed <laughs> and spent the next two hours vacuuming it out with his girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> good job. That was a great idea. Yep. That's funny. Never mess with a Sicilian when death is on the line. Yeah. It's not a land war in Asia. You'll lose every time, Jordan. All right. Know that. Didn't you hide some girl's car or car keys or oh, yeah. like put that piece of wood on her horn <coughs> oh, and then they still couldn't get it? So many things that you guys did. Good high school stories. So we weren't into drugs. We didn't drink. We didn't sleep around. But we had our fair share of mischief. And uh, Sarah Thompson ended up being the brunt of some of that mischief a few times. She drove a little ford fiesta it was purple it was i mean it just looked like a little jelly bean so one night we snuck into our garage middle of the night and horn stuck it so you put a stick between the seat and the horn so the horn just goes <laughs> open the garage ran out closed the garage we drove by 10 minutes later no we ran we opened the garage and ran out and then drove by 10 minutes later the garage door was down but the horn was still going <laughs> why couldn't they get it out so Sarah's dad must have gotten up because of the horn. Maybe in his days. sleepy days state, didn't realize that the horn wasn't the neighbor's horn. It was coming from his own garage. <laughs> Closed the garage door to get rid of the sound and went back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and that car was so light that one time everybody was over at her house. And so we picked it up and moved it sideways in her garage. Oh. So she had to Austin Powers 28 point turn <laughs> to get it out. That's horrible. Then another time I s we must have had a class together. I stole her keys, went and made a copy cuz this was before keys had chips and all that fancy stuff. Made a copy of it. So then we'd just go move her car at random <laughs> days. That's so horrible. she'd go out to the parking lot and her car wouldn't be there. And she'd curse us because she knew it was us. Usually it'd be halfway up the street. Horrible. Fun. Fun. Yeah. Super fun. You guys were camping together. You guys, you were driving the boat. You were skiing oh, yeah. together. You were doing tons of stuff I'd never let Masaru do. Oh, yeah. The things we did. Yeah, I'd never let Masaru do that. Jordan's dad used to take us up to the lake. I think we were 13, maybe 14. Drop us off with, launch the boat, pile us all in and say, all right, see you in the afternoon. And we'd just be out on the lake all day skiing. Awesome. Bunch of 14-year-olds. Yeah, that's awesome. But it didn't seem weird. It didn't seem like we were doing anything... Out of the ordinary? Out of the ordinary. It just seemed normal. We'd ride our bikes up to Rudy's Flats, go camping up there, take a 22. We shot a, shot a grouse one night, but we didn't know anything about birds. None of us were hunters. Jordan was, sort of, but not birds, deer. So we didn't know that once you shoot a bird, you kind of got to pluck it straight away. Otherwise, the feathers just don't want to come out. So I think we waited too long. We couldn't get the feathers out. And so we just ended up chucking it back in the trees. Some, co <laughs> some coyote or mountain lion got a nice meal. Free meal from your guys' mistake. <laughs> yep. You yeah. had a good life. Had a really good life. Yeah, good friends, which is good everything. Good friends. A lot of fun. Had a lot of freedom, I think, because I was the youngest. I think my parents were tired, and um, probably because I put my mom in a tough situation and always argued my way into getting to do things, and then she'd have to go tell my dad. And 
Yeah. Convince him that it was okay. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. But you're a good kid. You got good grades. You did well. I always went somewhere for spring break. Seemed to be a rotation. It was Moab, Lake Powell, St. George, Salmon High School. You got glasses when you were sixth grade. Lake Powell, St. George, Moab. And two of those trips, Moab and Lake Powell, Lake Powell when we were juniors, it was just us. I think there was six or seven of us. We went down. I think we had, I think we went in Matt's Suburban, pulled Jordan's boat, and we just camped for a week. That's Masaru. He's a junior. Yeah. Yeah, I'd never let him do that. <laughs> yeah. Moab, it was Jordan, Matt, and Ben. Took Matt's Suburban. Shout we, out to Ben. We pulled Ben's FJ40 down. Yeah, we went four-wheeling for the weekend. That's crazy. I think we did a little climbing, too. We That's kept, crazy. We must have taken bikes, too, maybe. I remember sitting in the back seat, and we'd always hit our heads on the roll cage as we're jostling down the trail so then we ended up wearing bike helmets in the back seat because we kept hitting the roll cage nice bunch of dogs that's awesome your childhood was was good was a good life yeah really good not complicated simpler back then i don't i don't think you could i don't think kids can have that kind of childhood anymore yeah with what's out there today yeah there's just too much risk and danger out there now but when we were growing up, it wasn't like that, so we had a lot of freedom and a lot of independence. And you weren't naughty. Nope. You totally could have been. And I had good friends, so I think my parents trusted us a little bit more. And come to find out, all of our parents did a lot of talking. We'd be out doing who knows what, and they would all communicate without us knowing it, but they always seem to know where we are by talking to the other parents. So it's not like they didn't care or weren't interested. They cared. They knew where we were at. They knew the other kids' parents, and so that probably added to the trust a little bit. It's a pretty safe neighborhood. Yep, totally safe. You got your first mountain bike from your brother? Yep. Well, the first one, the very first one, was my brother's old one. It was a Diamondback. It was a chromoly, not even aluminum, chromoly steel. Ouch. Fully rigid. Double ouch. Had the old shifters where they were shifters up on top. Not, yep. not rapid fire like yep. they are today, but up on top. Mm-hmm. And I used to have a paper route, so my dad made a rack that went on the back and I could sling the, you know how paper boys have that bag that goes over their head and they put papers in the front and yeah. in the back? We made this rack so that I could put that over the tire like two saddlebags, mm. put the papers in the back and I could ride my bike around the neighborhood and chuck papers. That bike was heavy. Man, that was heavy bike. But I used to go up to Mueller Park and ride that trail all the time and then, then I got a Really nice Klein aluminum front fork, courtesy of my brother and his friends. Story for another time. <laughs> he painted it Rastafari colors for me. That was a nice bike. 
it was fun. Yeah, your brother had good friends too. <clears throat> yeah. Good friends that he still keeps in contact with as well. So you guys had a really good life. Really lucky. Really, really lucky. Yep. Yeah. So you lived in Japan for two years for your mission. Yep. You decided to, once you graduated from high school, you decided to go to Salt Lake Community College. Yep. I got a, uh, <laughs> I got a scholarship, minority scholarship, Salt Lake Community College. So I was. You're a minority. I was the local Asian on campus. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then you wanted to work on planes, right? Yeah, I actually got the scholarship. So I graduated high school. I turned 19 a couple months later, but I didn't feel like going straight out on a mission like most of my friends did. So I did a, at the time it was a quarter. So I did a quarter at Salt Lake Community on that scholarship. And then by the time I got back, they didn't uh, renew it. <laughs> But I kept going back because it was a lot cheaper than going to the U. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I came home. I was going to do aviation maintenance. Started the course. Was in it maybe a month. And then I'm not sure what happened. I just, I don't know if I just wasn't feeling it. But I decided to withdraw Oh, I think part of it's because I got an opportunity. So, MLMs, multi-level marketing, they're kind of a big thing in Utah because there's a lot of suckers, you know. <laughs> you get, being one of them. Get rich quick. Yeah, I'm 21. A uh, friend of mine, his dad, um, was kind of involved, but not really. I mean, it was a was USANA vitamin supplements and he liked the supplements and so he was in it for that but didn't really do anything with it but he said hey they're opening up in Japan new market if you want to go over I'll I've got airline points I'll buy your plane ticket you can go over and so I'm like yeah yeah I'll do that it sounded really good and promise of all this money and building your two legs and Went over there, had plans to convince all my friends to sign up, and I met with the first one, and it just felt terrible. It was just like, I can't do this. I can't peddle this crap to my friends. So I spent two weeks just having a good time visiting <laughs> friends. <laughs> Ditched the sales pitch and had a two-week vacation. Tell me about Japan. Japan's awesome. I love Japan. Because uh, your mission, you learned how to speak the language. Tell me about Japan and your love for Japan. Um, I have a great love for Japan, partly because it's part of my heritage. But I think that really was strengthened when I got called to Japan and moved over there and learned the language. Um, Japan is very clean it's very safe it's very populated um, it's an awesome place and having 
family from there. My grandfather was originally from Hiroshima. He came to the United States when he was 19 on a work visa and met my grandma and never went back. Uh, he was disowned, but his sister kept in contact with him, um, whom I later met. She had come over a couple of times, I think, when I was little, but I, I don't remember any of those visits. But we did go over with my parents after my mission, and we visited her in Hiroshima and her family. And that was really cool. That was neat. Um, but yeah, I love Japan. Your grandma is originally from, her family's originally from Kyushu, right? Yeah. So my grandmother was born in California, but her parents immigrated from Kyushu, which is one of the bottom islands of Japan. Her life was crazy. Yeah, her dad was um, into gambling, wasn't very good at it, so he owed a lot of money, and to pay some of those debts, he would essentially sell his daughters. Mm-hmm. So my grandma, I think, was the oldest. So she kind of raised her sisters and kind of helped some of them, I think, kind of es escape some of this indentured servitude that her father put them in. Yeah, but he never did so, it to the son. Yeah, some crazy, crazy stories. And then uh, during World War II... My grandparents were living in California at the time, and the executive order came out, and they were shipped off into a relocation camp. They spent six months at the Santa Anita racetrack in a horse stall. That was their home until internment camps could be built. Once they were built, they were shipped out to, they were on the border of Colorado and Kansas at Hamachi. And they spent almost three years out there. And they were given little barracks to, as an apartment, so to speak. But she said it was not well built. The wind would rustle through and along with it sand. So they said they would gather any scraps of wood or material and kind of do up all the holes and improve upon it. My grandfather built a chest of drawers and some other furniture, but I think the chest of drawers is the only thing that's still around. Um, my cousin ended up with it. I, I wanted it when my grandma died, and he wanted it too, so we flipped a coin and I lost. So he's got that. <laughs> That was something that he built from the camp, and my grandparents used it until they died. Yeah, your grandparents were awesome. Good cooks, <clears throat> good people. Yep. Um, Low maintenance. And they never complained. I didn't really know that they were in the camps until probably high school. And then I didn't really know any of the detail until college. I had a history class where we had to do a report on our own history or 
something like that. So I decided to interview my grandma. So I've got a really neat recording of her talking about the camps and what they went through and but neither she nor my grandfather ever talked about it. They never complained about it. I think all of their sons served in the armed forces. She was a real pull your socks up kind of lady and they just moved on. Um, she said they weren't treated badly in the camps. They just couldn't leave. So essentially they were robbed of three years of opportunity. Anything that the Japanese had when they went into the camps was either sold for pennies on the dollar or stolen by the time they got back. A lot of people put it in storage, but people knew they weren't coming back anytime soon, so most of those storage units were looted. So people had nothing to come back to. So my grandpa went to Rupert, Idaho, when they got out of the camps because my uncle was working here and said that there was work. That's where my dad was born six months after they got out of the camp. But he was pitching hay and doing some other agricultural work and my grandfather's knee high to a grasshopper. <laughs> so pitching hay was kind of a tough job for him. So my grandma sent him down to Salt Lake to find better employment and he found something down there so they moved down there and they stayed started a life together it's where my dad was raised and it's where my grandparents died and your grandpa was buddhist and your grandma was christian yep this little japanese church of christ right in the middle of downtown yep right next to the Energy Solutions, or whatever the hell they're calling the stadium these days. Yeah. It was the Delta Center when it was first built. Where the jazz play. Right there. Yeah. This cute little Japanese church. It's probably still there, right? It is still there. Yeah. We had the opportunity to go to Japan with some of our best friends a couple of years ago. One thing that I loved about Japan that you said was that that's all true. It feels safe. It's clean. The people are real nice. They're the nicest, racist people I've ever met. They're real good. <laughs> it was not unusual to see an old grandma whip open her wallet and see about two or three thousand dollars in cash in her, wallet. in her wallet. Totally safe. Totally safe. Totally safe. You lose your wallet, you're gonna get it back, and all the cash is gonna be in there. They're just good people. You lose your jacket. I'm on the side of the road, somebody will find it. They'll hang it on the fence where you left it. It's yours. And it'll be there until somebody comes to claim it. Yeah. It's just awesome. And their food is amazing. Amazing food. Yeah. Sushi, okonomiyaki, yakisoba. Gyoza. Gyoza. Tonkatsu. Katsudon. There's just so much good food. It's a good place. We had a good time there. It's one there. of my favorite places. Yeah. It's beautiful in so many different ways. Yep. It's a beautiful culture. Culture of honesty, integrity, honor. Yeah. 
old culture. I mean, we saw buildings that were from the year seven, eight thousand. Yeah. It's crazy. Old. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm going to pop back into your childhood here for a second because one thing that I know after being married to you for 20 years is you've had a lot of head injuries. <laughs> oh, only a couple, few, seven, I don't know. I don't think it's been seven. I think it's been more like nine. <laughs> I think you've had a ton of head injuries, which could explain a lot, people. <laughs> explains a lot. <laughs> well, why don't Definitely you go explains back? explains my slowness. Well, why don't you go back and... With what you can remember with your troubled brain, why don't you tell us, like, all of these head injuries that you've gotten over your life? All right. First one that I can remember, we were at Bear Lake. We used to have these ward campouts up at Bear Lake. Everybody would go up and people would camp or rent condos. And so we were up there one year and we rented a condo and it had this loft. There was a ladder that went up to the loft. And I remember we were packing up to go home and I came down the ladder and kind of jumped off, slipped or something, and hit my head on the cooler. So I remember driving home in the back of the station wagon, just sort of out of it. So that was concussion one. How old were you? I don't know, maybe six or seven. Okay, just young. Young. And then had another one, we were sleigh riding. So we used to get a lot of snow in our neighborhood in the wintertime, and so we'd go tubing and there was a house that had a really steep hill that came down straight into the sidewalk and we used to we used to love watching American Gladiators. Yeah, man, that we love watching that in New Zealand too. <laughs> American Gladiators. We used to have those rumbles in our front living room. Yep. So this one night we decided we were going to play American Gladiators, so one of us would be at the bottom of the hill with our tube like a shield. <laughs> And the other one would get to the top and come rumbling down. And the goal was you had to try and keep the guy on the tube coming down the hill from getting across the line. Okay, this already sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave comes barreling down. I'm there with the tube. He hits the tube first, and it kind of spins me sideways. He and I knock heads, and, man, that hurt really bad. Dave must have a harder head than I do because it didn't seem to phase him. <laughs> I went off crying home. How old were you? This must have been, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade. Okay. Complained about my head hurting. And uh, eventually I remember them taking me to the hospital in the van. And I was in the back seat. I must have been with my dad in the back seat. And I remember opening the, the door, the sliding door, as we're traveling down the road. And they were kind of freaking out at me. Were you um, trying to leave? I, who knows? Brain injuries. <laughs> yeah. They make you do weird things. Yeah. Then I got one, or at least a minor one, in with our ice rink in the backyard. I was out there skating one night, caught an edge, fell over, hit my head on the ice, and that one it was like it was like watching the snow on the old TV. Yeah. You know the black yeah. and white TV. Yeah. You get kind of that fuzz in between channels. Yeah. That's kind of what it felt like, and I just remember being crashed out on the couch for the rest of the night. That's three. I got one water skiing. My best friend Jordan loved that one because we were down at Lake Powell. He came down with my family. This was early in the trip. Came across the wake, crashed. I must have hit my head on the ski. They had to pull me out of the water into the boat. And Jordan said I laid on the bunk for three days moaning. And he was stuck with my family. <laughs> <laughs> that was four. I don't think I had one in high school that I recall. Had one wakeboarding. That one, you were there. 
Yeah. It was a little bit of a 10-second Tom. Yeah. Uh, I kept asking repeated questions. Well, you kept, you were wakeboarding and you fell and you kept asking, is it my, have I gone yet? And we're like, yeah, you've gone and you crashed. <laughs> and then like a minute later, have I gone yet? Yeah, you've gone and you crashed. And his brother's like cracking up every time <laughs> Drew's saying this, Ryan's just laughing. And then we go to bed that night and Ryan's like, Okay, so you're probably going to have to check on him like every 20 minutes or so because his brain could bleed out and maybe he'll die overnight or something like that. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> so that was a nice night. That's just a little introduction to Drew's brother. And then uh, I think the most recent one was 2019. Fell off a ladder. It was about 12 feet off the ground. Ladder tipped over apparently. And uh, Yeah. Why don't you tell everyone why it tipped over? Because well, you had the ladder on gravel in an A-frame with both your legs <laughs> over each side of the ladder, thinking, I got this, I got this, I'm a professional. And then it slipped out from underneath you because you were probably reaching really high. Maybe. Well, what else do you think happened? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, exactly. I just remember waking up in the hospital. don't remember anything that happened, and I thought, mm, this is not good. Yeah, it wasn't good. So Drew had to go to hospital. I wasn't going to take him to hospital because of the American system here where it takes us a lot of money to go to the emergency room. And so I'm like, I'm just going to put him back in the bedroom. But fortunately, our neighbors, the Bradys, her brother was in town, Ben, and Aria went screaming across and said, something's happened to Drew because <laughs> it was Yuki's birthday party that night. And there were like 10 girls running around and Drew did this in front of all of them. And so Drew fell, a girl screamed, Yuki comes running into me going, I don't know if dad's playing a joke or not, but he's laying on the ground with his eyes closed and things aren't good. And Drew doesn't play jokes like that. He certainly doesn't get involved with little girls and he doesn't play jokes. <laughs> he's not a prankster. And so I come screaming out and he's just like, and all the kids are gathered around me because they're wondering what's going on. Drew's like awake, but not awake. And then Ben comes running over, and I was just going to put Drew in. I got a pillow under his head. There's a huge divot in the gravel, and I was just going to put him back in the bedroom. <laughs> ben <laughs> takes be right, one. Mate. Yeah, Ben takes one look at him, and he's like, "No, we need to get him to the hospital." So we take Drew to the hospital, and he was not himself. He was yelling at the nurses, like this one nurse would keep telling him, stop ripping, trying to rip your IV out. And Drew's like, would you stop yelling in my face? <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody knows Drew, this is not how he treats people. He is not like this. And I kept telling to the doctors, telling the doctors, I'm like, uh, this is not what my husband's like. He threw up projectile vomit everywhere they were trying to put those little vomit bags in front of him he would push the out of the way and throw up on them in the floor he was a total ass <laughs> and then the, the, he would say he was cold so they put blankets over him and then he'd start working on his ivs under the blankets and the nurse would run over and stop him from taking his ivs out i'm very very sneaky yeah so it was crazy and then they had to have a person watching him 
they wouldn't let him go back to the room without a person watching him because he was aggressive. He was <laughs> he was classified as an aggressive patient. And so he wakes up in the morning and he's like, and I'm over standing in the corner thinking, listen, I've got, I maybe have to stay with him for about a year, this new head injury, Drew, and then I can divorce him because I don't want to look like a horrible person. So I've got to stay with him for a year and then I'm going to start working on the divorce because I can't stay with a man like this. And then the next day I woke up and he's like, oh, this can't be good. I'm like, yeah, it's not good. You fell off a ladder. And then that was the sixth concussion or seventh. Yep. It was crazy. It was crazy. A couple of minor brain bleeds. Yeah, brain bleeds. And we found out that when your brain bleeds, you don't get that part of your brain back. Lost forever. Yeah, so if Drew seems funny to you, this is why. Maybe it's because that part of my brain is no longer there. <laughs> yeah. So for future reference, we have Drew straddle his ladder on a firm foundation. And the cutest thing ever was when he started, because he had to be on total brain rest, which is you're not allowed to do anything. Yeah. You like can't, watching the paint dry. Yeah, you cannot watch TV. You can't read. You can't knit. You can't crochet. You can't. All you can do is talk to people. That's it. So we had a lot of people help us over that time and a lot of people. And then once he started going back, he wanted to keep working on the shop. And so he said he worked on it with his uh, his uh, mountain bike helmet on. It was the cutest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> it was the cutest thing ever. <laughs> Whatever it takes to get back up on a ladder. And he got that shop finished. And that's what we're talking about right now. So I tried to kill him, but it's finished. Didn't succeed. Yeah. So how do you feel as if you're different from 20 years ago when we were first married? Or you don't? Yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I don't feel different. Yeah. My body feels different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm still 20. My body tells me otherwise. Yeah. Uh, Your body's pretty good, though. I can't keep up with these kids anymore. We yeah. go out to mountain bike practice. and <laughs> Who can? They kick my trash up the hills. Well, they've got less weight, that's for sure. <clears throat> they do have less weight. <laughs> A little better power to weight ratio they in their favor. Do. Yeah. We don't heal as quickly as we used to. Yeah. But, yeah, I feel the same. I don't feel like I'm different. I think I'm more mature. That I do feel different. Especially you hang out with people in their early 20s and you see a difference. <laughs> but it's just life and experience and it's not that there's anything wrong with them. I'm sure I was the same way when I was 20. Yeah, I'm sure we were. So what kind of things bring you joy? What makes you happy, babe? Family, kids, hanging out with you. Uh, those are some of the best moments. Love the outdoors and luckily you and the kids love the outdoors as well. So we spend a lot of time together outdoors. Mountain biking, camping, four-wheeling, rock climbing, boating, snowboarding. Emiko's been begging me to teach her how to snowboard, so this is her year. She's going to get up on the mountain, and Mom's going to stay home by herself with some peace and quiet. Yeah, except for I'm getting a hard time from it. <laughs> like, my children don't want me to do it. They're like, you can't stay at home by yourself and we're all up in the mountain. You have to learn how to ski. So I'm debating whether or not to learn how to ski. I don't know. What do you guys think? Should I learn how to ski? 
at the old age of 44 or should I just call it and stay home while they're all up on the mountain? My kids think it's lame that I'm even considering that. <laughs> so we'll see. Watch the space, I guess. Yep. Tell me about your children and what they mean to you. My children mean everything to me. Each one of them is different. They've all been raised the same. They've all been given more or less the same rules, the same consequences, but they're all different. They all come pre-wired with their own personalities, their own challenges, their own strengths, weaknesses, and it's fun to watch them grow and develop. Uh, Takeshi is a million miles an hour, arguably ADD. Yeah. <laughs> He's got stories for days. <laughs> that he likes to share with pugs. <laughs> <laughs> Riding around on a four-wheeler. Yeah, and uh, you got ears. He's got stories. He'll talk. He'll talk your ear off all day, every day. It's not. It's never enough. Never. Like enough. his one teacher, Mister Heron. He's like, bro, do you not let this kid talk? I'm like, oh no, we let him talk. <laughs> <laughs> we listen. You just gotta listen too. <laughs> yeah, I love it. He's pretty great. I love it. And then you've got Yuki, who is very determined, very organized. Which yeah. is not Takeshi. Yeah. He can be. <clears throat> he can be. Hyper-focused, but then a total yeah. chaos. <laughs> yeah. So those two bike to school together. And I think they've probably biked together mm, maybe a handful of times. Because <laughs> Takeshi can't get his crap together and get ready on time. And Yuki's like, well, I'm not being late. So see you later, dude. You're yeah. on your own. He struggles with that morning routine. So she'll just leave him. Which is good. Sutter's more reserved. He's a little bit, probably more like me. Quiet. Doesn't doesn't share his feelings a lot. Doesn't show his playing cards. Keeps them pretty tight. Yeah, but yeah, he's social, super social, social like me. Yeah, but it's surface, it's surface stuff. He doesn't let too many people really in, at all. Yeah, and Emmy is just super sweet. Yeah, she always wants to be around you. She always wants hugs. She's got a great voice. Mm-hmm. None of our kids can sing, apart from her. Yeah, she's don't got tell a beautiful them voice. Yeah, don't tell the kids that. <laughs> Sorry, kids, they're going to be listening to this. <laughs> hey, but we can't be good at everything, right, Yuki? We can't no. be good at everything. She's pretty good at a lot of things. She is. She's very athletic. Organized. A lot of natural talent. She gets it. She's motivated. Yep. She's pretty amazing just like the others. Yeah, they're pretty cool. So what struggles have you had that you're willing to share with me publicly to 100 people? Uh, what are your struggles, babe? Or are you perfect? Oh, I'm far from perfect. It's true. I've got struggles <laughs> just like everybody else. Recent struggle is work. Uh, beginning of this year, I was asked to start practicing a new area of law, something that I knew nothing about data privacy and cybersecurity. It's been a gap that we've had in our department for quite some time, and we've been lucky enough not to have any major incidents, and we've been able to kind of skate by without anybody looking at it. But as you know, especially with all the recent attacks in the cyberspace, uh, it's just something that we can't ignore anymore. So somebody's got to focus on it, and so they asked me to do it, and I didn't really want to do it, but I also didn't feel like I had much of a choice. <laughs> so I told them I'd be happy to do it and then started the panic of trying to figure out how to learn this stuff. Didn't 
didn't even know where to start to mm. look. I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know. And uh, I shared it with a friend of mine. We were down in Utah for Christmas, and we caught up with him, Jared, for breakfast right before we left. And I, he was asking what I was, how work was going and what I was doing, and I told him. And he said, oh, well, you need to get connected with my buddy, Romaine. He's a data privacy expert. You need to call him. So I'm like, okay, that sounds good. So we got back. About a week went by and hadn't heard anything from Jared. So I texted him and said, hey, can you give me Romaine's number? And so he started a, a group chat, introduced me to Romaine. And Romaine's like, yeah, give me a call. Let's talk. So I called him and we talked and I just laid it out. I was honest with him. I said, Romaine, this is what I've been tasked to do. I've never had any experience in this field. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where to look. I don't even know where to start. And he said, Drew, don't worry about it. I've got you covered. This is what you need to do. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to go to this website. You need to become a member of IAPP. You can get certified. You can get credential. We'll get some more letters behind your name. You'll be more marketable. This is going to be great. You're going to be fantastic. And uh, Romaine just happens to be a Kiwi. Yeah, yeah. Romaine Marshall. So any Kiwis listening that went to CCNZ, Brother Marshall's his dad and Sister Marshall. So it's Romaine. It's him. So what a small world, right? Yep. You guys have uh, common acquaintances. Yeah. Friends with brothers. Yeah, he's real nice. Romaine's real nice. Um, It's good to have him in our lives. Yeah, he came over in high school on a basket playing basketball and ended up playing in college and went to school here and he now lives in salt lake yeah and he's helping us out he is helping us out yeah uh, it's been a big been a big help it's so been an answer to prayer definitely an answer to prayer pled with the lord to help me figure out how to learn this new area and i just felt like romaine was a direct answer to those prayers we hit it off straight away we're now quite good friends after only seven or eight months. We have common interests, mountain biking, rugby, and uh, it's been really good. Yeah, that's good. What other struggles have you had in your life, do you think, that you're willing to share with us? Uh, probably not when I was younger, but probably more in the last decade. I'm, I'm not a professional, but I suspect that I've suffered somewhat with a bit of depression Mm -hmm. mostly i think stress-induced work home trying to balance everything out trying to be a good lawyer trying to always make sure that i add value so that i have a job so they don't pull the curtain back and figure out that there's uh somebody else behind the curtain (laughs) but i've tried to deal with it and through exercise talking with you but who knows maybe uh maybe one of these days i'll go see a counselor yeah i'd like to state for the record that i've been trying to get drew to see a counselor (laughs) for a while now and so far i've taken precedence it probably started yeah probably started in law school you kind of gave me an ultimatum you said either go see somebody or go to the gym Yeah, so Drew had just finished working construction. So Drew's worked construction his whole life since he was about Takeshi's age because his father worked construction. And so in the summers, Drew would work construction. Can I stay construction any more times? (laughs) Construction. And so Drew was always physical. 
always, always physical. And so when he went to law school, it went from physical, physical, physical to nothing. And we're up in Moscow, and Moscow's close <laughs> to the North Pole. And so you would basically get to school, to school in, the in the dark and get home in the dark. Come home in the dark. And all he was doing was pencil pushing. Like he was just pushing a pencil around and reading stuff all day. And he, it was the first time in his life that he gained weight. It was the first time in his life that he wasn't physical every day. And he felt it. He was like a zombie. Me and Natalie always joke around that you you and Robbie were like zombies. You went white. You're the whitest <laughs> you ever were at law school. And you were just like zombies. And so, yeah. And you were like... No vitamin D. Yeah. And you were like, man, I'm just not feeling good. And it's like, yeah. How about we look at the facts here? <laughs> so you either see someone and you start moving your body. And Drew does not like the gym. No, I don't like the gym. He hates it, but, but he had a free... Had a free membership at the school gym, so started going to the gym. And that seemed to I help. I think that helped. Yeah. I still feel as if he should go see someone and connect with them, though. But maybe I'll have him back once he's been to a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> so what helps you in the hard times? Obviously, exercise. What else has helped you in the hard times over the years? What's your go-to? Well, family's key. Uh, I always feel loved and supported at home. I think without... Always? Ninety-nine <laughs> percent of the time. No, family helps, uh, especially with the kids. I mean, kids are pretty awesome. You can make mistakes, treat them horribly, and they forgive you in an instant. Yeah. They always love you, and I think I'm semi-useless dad. Mm. But if you ask my kids, they seem to s tell you something differently, so I don't know. For the record, we try not to treat them horribly. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes it comes out bad. Absolutely. But I think the key is, same as we teach our kids, you just got to own your mistakes. You got to be quick to apologize. Yeah. And I don't think kids get a lot of apologies from adults. Yeah. So I think it's important that they receive apologies from us. Which when they do. When we've done something wrong, which is more frequent than I'd like to admit. Yeah. We don't know what we're doing. We just need to put that out on the record and we will definitely... Yeah, there's no instruction manual that came with these ones. Never. and you think you get it figured out with one kid, and then you have another one, and what worked on the first one doesn't work on the second one, and you're like, what the hell? Yeah, no. I just got this figured out, and now it doesn't work? Yeah, I look back, and I don't think we ever had it figured out. <laughs> I still don't think we've got it figured out. <laughs> I think we're just... No, we don't have it figured out. ...week by week trying to do the best we can. We are trying to do the best we can. Yes. And that's often... Uh, just keeping a nostril above water. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It feels like it's, it's not tough. enough. Yeah. Feels like it's not enough. So, what is the toughest thing about being married to me? <laughs> <laughs> Two things. All right. Punctuality. Yep. I suck at punctuality. She does not care 
Nope. And if you're like trying to go someplace, but she's talking to somebody, forget about Listen, it. Listen, you do for- the same thing forget too. Forget about it. <laughs> It'll be like I'm there 10, in the moment. Fifteen minutes later, she's like, "Yeah, I know we needed to go." I'm like, "But they were talking, and I didn't want to be rude." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." I'm with that person. I'm feeling the so vibes, stop babe. Stop asking them questions and furthering the conversation. <laughs> Let the conversation naturally yeah. die on the vine. By not talking to them, you're a Debbie Downer. <laughs> <laughs> Punctuation and the laundry. Get out of here. You do your own laundry. I do my own laundry. <laughs> but apparently, I can't do my own laundry whenever the machine's available. It's got to be at a specific time and moment when it's not in your rotation. Yeah, it's got to be when in when that time And when that time is, I have no idea. You just got to ask. It's not published. No. (laughs) Sometimes you're not around. The machine's empty. I'm Uh, taking it. (laughs) So I'm going to get my own washing machine out here in the shop. Yeah. No, we don't have to fight about laundry anymore. Well, I'm also overtaking your laundry room by being here. So that's not going to happen for a hot second. You're going to have to make me another room. Or you can just have a washing machine in here. There's enough space. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that you struggle about being married to me is thinking that I'm not listening to you and interrupting you when we're talking. You don't like that either. Yeah. You don't like that. Got to be real. What's the best thing about being married to me? Your humor, your positivity. If anybody that knows Melissa knows that she has the knack for making people feel really good about themselves unlike anybody else I've ever met she just makes you feel like you're the most important and that you're deserving of everything it's quite amazing that's what I love about you thanks babe that's way nice so what do you hope for in the future for you or for whatever. What do you hope well, for? I hope. The future. I hope that I don't get fired. Yep. That that's I always a hold great, a job. Yep. That sounds great. <laughs> I would like that. That's a direct link to my life. Uh, I hope that our kids turn out to be decent human beings. Yeah. That they're kind, that they're compassionate, they're understanding. That they're motivated and that they're successful. They can support themselves. That'd be great if they could support themselves. That'd be great. Because <laughs> we're gonna spend a, we're gonna start a ski fund, and that stands for Spend Kids Inheritance. I like it. Yeah, they get nothing. So we need them to be self-sufficient. I don't think my mom's leaving us anything, and I hope your parents don't leave us anything. So. We're on our own. They're on their own. I'm not expecting anything. No. I think that's a good thing. No, I don't think we need anything. So you're a lawyer. Did you always know you wanted to practice law? I did not. What do you want to do? Well, I thought I wanted... Well, started off in uh, aviation maintenance. That's right. That went nowhere. Yep. Which is probably a good thing. I don't know if I would have been happy doing that. And then it was international business. So I went to school to get a business degree, thinking about maybe uh, 
international graduate degree. But during the course of my undergrad, I had a class that was taught by a practicing attorney. And uh, part of the class, probably about half of the class was spent, he divided us into two groups and we had a partner. You were either labor or management and their labor contract had expired and we were negotiating a new one. So we spent half the semester just meeting in our groups and we would negotiate the terms of this labor contract. And I don't know, I just found that class really interesting. I found the professor interesting. And then I had another international law class taught by another lawyer and I love that class. I do all my other homework first because I knew that once I started in on his homework, I wouldn't want to do my other homework. That's very Yuki. So It's not our other children. It's not me. And he had these unique exams where you could get extra credit. So each, each exam, I think, had 30 story problems, and then it was multiple choice. And each story problem was probably two or three paragraphs. And you could get extra credit by finding a theme that existed in all 30 problems. So it was, you know, a mention of a movie star in all 30 problems or uh, a location was named in each one. So anyway, you could name out all these things. So you could literally spend hours and hours, and these were take-home exams, you could spend hours and hours on these exams trying to find these extra credit problems. So that was kind of fun. You could also take your exam and have anybody you wanted help you with it. So I had a couple lawyers help me with it, and they were tough. <laughs> they struggled with it. They're like, yeah, I don't know. It could be this one or it could be this one. I'm not really too sure. Did you find any themes? <laughs> yep. Found a lot of themes. Um, sometimes you could find themes that were unintended. Mm. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, sure enough. All right. So he'd give you credit for that. Cool. So that was fun. And then uh, one night he had uh, one of the attorneys for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints come and teach the teach the class that night. And he gave some real-life experiences that he had practicing um, internationally, and I found it fascinating. And so at that point, I decided that I wanted to go to law school. So we started that route and started studying for the LSAT, and that was rough. You had to do the LSAT how many times, babe? Well, I think I took the LSAT three times. Yep, until you go to school, that was good enough. Yep. First time, weren't we working in Wyoming? Yeah, I think so. And so I had Masaru. He was a little baby. Yep. Maybe 13 months, 14 months. And you were gone three days a week, Yep. working 16-hour days, and then you'd be home for a long weekend. Four days, yep. That didn't work out for studying for the LSAT. No. And then the second time, I can't remember yeah. why it didn't work out, but there was something else going on too. Do you remember? Second time I didn't work remember. out either. I think the third time I ended up taking a class. Oh, yeah. And the class was super helpful. And then you got... Um, but it was still, still difficult. Got pretty average marks. I'm a slow reader, <laughs> which doesn't help on standardized testing. Reading comprehension section was probably always my worst because I'm such a slow reader. My best section was the logic section, also known as the games section. So there's a lot of deductive reasoning, and you'd have these story problems, and you'd have to figure out what fish was on the menu on Wednesdays 
based on what was on the menu all the other days of the week. Yeah, I suck at that stuff. And uh, I think on that section, I actually scored a perfect score in that section, but because I bombed in all my other sections, it kind of evened out. Yeah, and then you applied for a bunch of different schools, and we ended up going to Moscow. Yep. I applied University of Utah, BYU, University of Idaho. Arizona. A few others, Arizona, Wyoming, Gonzaga. Nevada? Yeah, I think so. Ended up with a partial scholarship at Gonzaga. Got on the wait list at BYU. Got rejected at the U, Arizona. Got accepted at Wyoming. Got accepted at University of Idaho. And I looked at Gonzaga's tuition and the University of Idaho's tuition, and I knew that after a year I could get in-state tuition, which would cut my tuition in half. And with the partial scholarship at Gonzaga, that only put it equal to the University of Idaho's out-of-state tuition. And then I knew in a year I'd get that cut in half, so I passed on that. Which I'm glad I did, because what they don't tell you on the scholarships is if you're not, if you don't remain in the top third of your class, you lose your scholarship. Yeah, so you would have lost your scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I would have been paying thirty grand a year. What a rip. Law school was yeah. hard. Hey, babe. And Super you did hard. really well at school. You did good Never. at high school. You did good at university in your degree. I mean, you're mostly a straight-A student. And once you hit law school, it rocked your world. Yeah, I did pretty good in high school. Graduated with honors. Graduated undergrad. I think just under a 3.5. And then law school, I've never worked so hard in my life for such crappy grades. Bomb the first semester. Because law school is quite different. You go to school all semester. Apart from legal research and writing, your entire grade is based on a single final exam. So gross. So it all rides on that final test. And I don't think they did a very good job at preparing us, well, at least me anyway, on how to take those sorts of exams. They're all essay-based. They weren't ever multiple choice. Well, some had short multiple choice, but it was largely essay. And I just didn't understand how to format, how to write them, so I kind of bombed that first semester. But that sure gave me motivation that second semester. So worked hard, got on the dean's list second semester, plowed through that summer. Yeah, it was rough going. And out of 100 people that graduated, you came around 50th. Yeah, I was probably right in the middle somewhere. Right at the end of uh, law school. I don't even remember what my class rank was. Yeah, it was... Largely because I wasn't interested. Yeah, it was right in the middle. <laughs> I looked. You were right in the middle, homie. And you worked real hard, real hard. So when you got your job, you got it because of a friend. Yep. So I had a mission companion in Japan, Tom, who, like Llewellyn, was one of my best companions. And we got along really well. And he always knew he wanted to be a lawyer. Even in Japan, he would tell people that that's what he wanted to do when he got home. And that's what he did. So he was working for the governor's office in Office of Species Conservation. And he had worked with the general counsel at Simplot on a roadless case that was vital to one of our mining operations. So he knew Terry pretty well, and so I told Tom, you know, I was looking for an externship somewhere in-house because 
I always thought that I wanted to be in-house. I didn't want to go to a law firm, though I knew I would have to go to a law firm for five to ten years before I could go in-house somewhere. But I wanted to get that experience to see if that's really what I wanted to do. And so Tom said, well, let me talk to Terry and see if you can go over there. So he did, and he called and said, yep, uh, there's a guy by the name of Mark that said he's interested in taking you, so give him a call. So I called Mark, and we kind of hit it off. We were talking about my background, construction, and some different things, and I don't know, something came up, and we were talking about plumbers, and I said, yeah, all you need to know about being a plumber is shit rolls downhill and payday's on Friday. (laughs) And Mark thought that was so funny. (laughs) So we kind of we kind of hit it off. So I got an externship there at Simplot. Melissa and Mark went to the same gym, so she ended up meeting Mark, getting to know him, and so from there, Mark started feeling bad for me because he knew that I had Melissa and three kids that I had to support, and he finally started uh, trying to get me a job at Simplot. Before he kept telling me, "Oh, there's this job in Fresno." You should, t- you should apply for it. I'm like, Mark, it's not a legal job. I don't want it. <laughs> Nor do I want to live in Fresno. <laughs> <laughs> and I was pregnant at the time, and he started really worrying and working hard for us, which is really nice. And they he even got you some money while you were studying for the bar exam, which was really nice of him as well. Yeah. And then you were told, don't work while you study for the bar exam, just study for the bar exam. You'll never pass. I knew for me that working while I studied for the bar was not an option. I needed all the help I could get, all the time I needed to study. But at the end of the semester, Mark said, what are you doing for the summer? I said, I'm just studying for the bar. He's like, well, we've got about $2,500 a month that I can spend on you. So how many hours a week can I get for that? So I thought about it and I did not want to work, but at the same time, I didn't want to pass up an opportunity either. I wanted to keep my foot in the door. So I think I told him, I could work three hours a day, 15 hours a week. He's like, all right, let's do it. So my bar study was get up at 6.30, get to school, study for an hour, and then I was the Barbary rep. So I was in charge of putting on the bar prep videos Everybody would come to class in the morning, and we'd watch these videos, so I'd put them on get class started. And then I'd go over to Simplot for three hours, and then I'd go back to school and study until dinner time, hour and a half off for dinner with Melissa and the kids, and then I would study till 10.30, go to bed, repeat. Every day, six days a week. That was my life for middle of May till July 27th when I took the bar exam. Great day. So anyway, I was doing that, working for Mark, and I told Mark, I said, hey, can we just, can I just give you a bill at the end of the, end of the summer? He's like, yeah, sure. So end of the summer came, and he said, so when are you going to give me a bill? I said, well, I don't know, Mark, when's my last day? He's like, well, you can keep coming back for all I care. I got plenty of work. So I'm like, okay. So I came back and kept working for him. Worked, I don't know, 25, 30 hours, and I was looking for work in the meantime because I really wasn't expecting this to to go anywhere. And then uh, I'd watched Mark's dogs before when he went on vacation, and he was leaving on vacation again, and so he called me into his office and 
said, hey, here's the deal with Ricky and Lollipop. Here's the garage door opener. Their food's here. Blah, blah, blah. I'll be gone this day. I'll be back this day. I said, yep. All right. Sounds good. And he said, all right, now that we've got uh, the important things out of the way, let's talk about less important things like your career. <laughs> he said, uh, they're building a new potato processing plant out in Caldwell. Mark McKellar really wants an attorney out there on the project. And I told Mark that I had the perfect guy for him. And I hope you like it because I already accepted on your behalf. <laughs> start next week. <laughs> Which was awesome because we've been applying for other jobs and got rejected. Yeah, and a little bit about Mark. So at Simplot, it's a business casual, but on Fridays it's jeans, jean Friday, unless you were Mark. If you were Mark, it was jean Friday every day. Mark never wore slacks, ever. He always wore jeans. And so I come out of his office after he told me this, and her secretary, Tammy, she said, did you notice that Mark's wearing slacks? He had a meeting this morning with Bill and Mark and Terry, and he really wanted to make sure that you got this job, so he wore slacks. <laughs> we owe so much to Mark. That was the kind of guy Mark was. He was kind of like a, an M&M. Hard, on, hard shell on the outside, but soft and gooey in way the middle. Way soft. Way soft. You just got to push past the... <laughs> the shell. The facade. We're still good friends today. Mark's since been retired for well over five years, and uh, we're still good friends. Yeah. We owe everything to that guy. That's awesome. Way awesome. But yeah. you worked hard, too. You got your foot in the door, but you worked hard, too. I mean, they wouldn't have kept you, and Mark wouldn't have put his foot out, you know, for you and the door for you if uh, you sucked. <laughs> <laughs> He would have been like, well, it's been real good having you here, bud. Good luck with those kids. We'll see you later. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have had as many. <laughs> Talking about kids, what's it like being a father? Oh, being a father is awesome. Ups and downs? Yeah. I mean, it's it's no picnic. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's a lot of work. But I can't think of anything that's more rewarding Yeah. than being a father and more fun. Yeah. Uh, I get excited when people are just starting out and having a kid for the first time. And I remember when we had our first, um, I was had a couple of classes with um, a guy I grew up with, Rich Watson. We were in the same ward. And anyway, we ended up with some classes together. And one of them was way out in South Salt Lake. It was a night class. And so I would get a ride home with him. And when I told him that we were gonna have our first he was so excited he's like oh you're gonna love it being a dad is the best thing ever like he was just through the roof excited for us and and now being a father i understand the excitement that he had yeah because it's pretty awesome yeah so a ward for people that don't know is an area where people meet for church and so it's a geographical area and it's called a ward and that's where we meet as a Latter-day Saint church and so that's what a ward is just for a side tangent so you have an older sister Kristen and a younger sister well she's older than you but she's younger than Kristen Brooke yep and you have a great relationship with your sisters and you love them but you only have one brother and his name's Ryan and yep. he's special. 
and you two have a special relationship. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the relationship you have with your brother? We do have a good relationship, and I attribute that wholly to my brother Ryan. I think we were like any other siblings growing up. He used to give me a hard time and beat on me every now and again. Nothing major, um, just wrestling and, you know, being boys. But then when I was about 12, and my brother was 17 at the time, he decided, for whatever reason, that he was going to sort of take me under his wing. So he started taking me snow skiing with his friends. We'd go up every Saturday. We had uh, season passes up at Solitude, and he would take me up, and we'd go skiing every Saturday. And occasionally he would let me hang out with his friends afterwards or at a different time. He took me snowmobiling. His best friend in high school was Dave Denning, and I hung out with Ryan and Dave quite a bit um, when they were in high school. And I was only 12, 13. So I don't know why, but he just decided he was going to do that, and we became really good friends because of it. You guys shared the same room for a while and slept in the same bed, right, for the first little part of your life? Yeah, I think until... Probably my brother was in junior high. Dad finished the basement, and Ryan and Kristen moved down there, and me and Brooke stayed upstairs. Yeah. So, yeah, we used to all share a room. So you hang out, you hung out a lot when you were 12, 13, and then did you keep hanging out? Yep. Started mountain biking. He uh, took me to Moab for the first time. He took me and my friend Jordan and another kid, Dan, and we took a Subaru. We went down there and spent the weekend down there. Must have been 13. I think he was a senior in high school. And we had a great weekend biking around. And then uh, he left in... When I was in eighth grade, he left on his mission for Paraguay. Uh, he was gone for two years doing that. Um, I kept skiing, kept mountain biking, rock climbing. And then when he got back... We just sort of picked up where we left off. Went skiing, climbing, mountain biking. Uh, he worked for my dad, I worked for my dad, so we spent a lot of time together because we worked together. He taught you a lot working, he, right? Yeah, he did. Uh, my dad taught my brother what he knows, and, and my brother pretty much turned around and taught me. So most of what I know is from my brother, some from my dad, all of it indirectly from my dad, but... Ryan taught me a lot. Yeah. And you still get along today? We do. We get along really well. I talk to him on the phone quite frequently. We still have common interests. Mountain biking, land cruisers, desert racing, camping. We have a lot in common. He's one of your best friends, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's one of my best friends. He's there for you. Yep. I know Ryan would do anything for me, and he does a lot for me. He's always bending over for me, helping me out with working on my cars or helping with a project. He came up and helped me frame the shop. Yeah, he's just always there, willing. Even as busy as he is, he's always got time for me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So what's some of the best things you've seen and done in your life? A couple of things. One of the best things I've done was serve a mission in Japan. That was a absolutely wonderful experience. It was good to learn more about my culture. 
learn how to speak Japanese, partake in some really good cuisine. <laughs> Met some fantastic people that I'm still friends with today that we saw when we went back in 2019. Yeah, quite nice people. Of, couple of friends while we were there. Yeah. Um, I love those people to death and grateful for that time and that experience that I had over there. Yeah. Also been very blessed to travel quite a bit uh, with you. Uh, our most recent trip to Iceland was absolutely wonderful. A place I highly recommend to anybody thinking about traveling somewhere overseas. Uh, Iceland is a great place so beautiful. For us, it was kind of right up our alley. We chose to rent kind of a little camper van, but I'm I'm talking small camper van. I mean, it was two bucket seats in the front, mm-hmm. platform bed in the back, storage underneath, and that was it. Mm-hmm. No shower, no bath, no kitchen, anything like that. But it allowed us to travel around the whole country and go where we wanted to go at our own pace, our own itinerary. There's campsites all along the island. You could roll in at any hour and pay the fee and park camp. There was showers available there. They had communal kitchens. It was really fun just to drive around, and I could see retirement being really fun in that way, just getting in the Land Cruiser and driving for days, weeks, months on end. Yeah. I think it would be amazing. You've been to Australia and Fiji. Yep. In uh, high school, Jordan and I went to Australia with a team that my high school hockey coach put together. We went down to play a bunch of exhibition matches. As you can imagine, ice hockey is not uber popular in Australia. So we went down, we played four games. We played two in Brisbane and two in Sydney. We won two, we lost two. Because it's not a popular sport, the people that do play it are into it and love it. And I think that's why we lost a couple of games because they were really good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Saw the Great Barrier Reef. Yep. Ate Vegemite. So when we planned this trip, Jordan and I decided that we needed to get certified for scuba diving because we were going to spend time up on the Great Barrier Reef. We were up in uh, Port Douglas, just outside of Cairns, and that was awesome. Diving the Great Barrier Reef was amazing. And then we also stopped in Fiji for three days on our way home, and we did some diving there too. And The diving in Fiji was actually better than Great Barrier. Colors were better, more fish. It was awesome. Melissa and I have been to Mexico, went to Cancun, and we went out to Cozumel, did some diving there. Beautiful. That was great diving. That big wall diving, which I love. And it just goes down and down and down forever. And before you know it, you're... It doesn't even feel like it. 85, 90 feet deep. Yeah. You've also been to Mexico by yourself with all your homies down the Baja, which yep. is one of the best things you've done. Yep. Been to Baja four times uh, with Kangaroo Racing. Friends of mine uh, started desert racing about a decade ago. After years and years, they started when I was in law school, and so I wasn't able, ever able to go down. The race is always the weekend before thanksgiving so finally after law school i was able to go down and help chase so we have the race is called baja 1000 <laughs> this is the baja 1000 the baja 1000 is like the super bowl of desert Dizzy. off-road racing it's it's the race there's the baja 1000 and there's the dakar rally but the dakar rally is a little bit different and you get to do it with your brother ryan yep and your other best friend ryan 
Yep. My two brothers, Ryan. Yeah. Um, so, Ninja. so we go down and there's usually six to eight chase trucks that go down and support the race car and we leapfrog around the course and make sure that there's always a truck that's in communication with the race truck and we're there to support at the pits, refuel, check the car, make sure it's running well, solve any issues that the drivers are facing with the car. And it's a point-to-point race, uh, non-stop until you finish at the finish line. So it's, uh, depending on the race, it's anywhere from 850 miles to 1150 miles. And you go and Tell you either break or finish. You're finished, yeah. And you eat lots of tacos and drink lots of red Fanta. That's right. And hardly get any sleep. Every time I've gone down, they've finished, which, in and of itself, is an accomplishment because I think the attrition rate for the Baja 1000 is less than fifty percent. Fifty percent of entrants never finish. Yeah. They have entered, I think, seven times, and they've finished six. So they have a really good track record. That's awesome. There's not many teams that are that successful. Uh, They've been on the podium a couple of times. Uh, We race in the stock full class, which means you have to run a vehicle that's stock motor, stock transmission, and stock control arms in the front. So while your suspension is modified, it can only be modified so much because you're limited in travel by those control arms. So we run a a 2008 200 series Land Cruiser, modified suspension, everything else is stock, and she goes like a bat out of hell. <laughs> and you have a blast. You've also been to New Zealand, you've been across America, you've been to Canada, yep. Quebec, you've been... Been to, been to Japan several times. New Zealand, lots Both of times. on my mission, and after my mission I went over... With my parents right after, went back that fall, peddling vitamins, which <laughs> soon fizzled into Just a pleasure a cruise. And then I went back in 2011 with my dad uh, after the tsunami. They had some tsunami cleanup trips that the church had put together, so my dad wanted to do that, but he was a little hesitant to go over by himself, not speaking the language, so he took me with him and... We went over and helped clean up locals' farms and properties so they could get back on their feet. Yeah, you had a good time. Start planting again. It was a lot of fun. And then we went back in 2019 with Ryan and Stacy and uh, my MTC companion Leonard and his wife Liesl. They live in Kitty Mat, British Columbia. They met us over there. He's an they're both Aussies, but they now live in Canada. MTC Companion stands Mm. for Mission Training Center Companion. And so when you first go on your mission, you go to a mission training center first for a few weeks and you get a companion in that center. And Leonard Cabery was straight out of Australia and Mm. straight in with Drew. And those two got along like a house on fire. And Leonard's real easy to get along with. And he's one of the nicest guys you'll meet. And he, like Takeshi, has stories for days. (laughs) 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 And so we had a great time in Japan with Leonard and Liesl and Pugs and Stacey and our new friends, Will and Jen, who were living there at the time, who let us stay with them. Yep. It was an awesome trip. 
Yeah, it was. Are you kidding me? We went over there to be able to watch the All Blacks play, and because of a bad rainstorm that you'd see <laughs> any day in New Zealand, they cancelled it because they thought it was going to be a typhoon. Typhoon, and it wasn't. It ended up they so they cancelled the match two days before because of this typhoon warning. Typhoon rolled out to sea, and it didn't even. We didn't get to see the All Blacks even, play Italy. Nagoya like it was supposed to, and we was super bummed. They could have they could have played, super but bummed. because that match wasn't going to change the outcome of the tournament, they just canceled it. Yeah, so our tickets got refunded, and we had a great time in Japan. Yep, and the whole reason we were there was for that game, <laughs> and it didn't happen. Nope. But that wasn't the whole reason. The whole reason was for us to see Japan, and we certainly did that. Yep. You've been to New Zealand probably at least 10 times. Yeah, probably. I've been to India a couple of times yep. for work. Yep. Uh, very interesting place, unlike any other place I've ever visited. It's definitely third world, but it's different. It's not like other parts of the world where you'll have nice areas and poor areas. It's all an amalgamation. It's all mixed together. You can have a $5 million property right next to a slum property. It's just intermixed. It's very dirty, but yet the people are extremely clean. Their clothes are clean, vibrant colors, happy people, great food, just a lot of poor. Yeah. Probably because they have over a billion people. Yeah, it's tough to look after, that's, probably. That's hard to... Yeah, it's tough it's to look after. hard to meet after. the needs of a billion people. Yeah, you've been to a lot of places. Yep. Yeah, hopefully New Zealand's your favorite. I'm just going <laughs> to leave it at that. <laughs> we actually lived in New Zealand for about four months, four or five months. We lived in New Zealand, and you worked construction there. Yeah. And you worked in Tokoroa uh, and made a good friend, Ben there, gave him yeah. an awesome hammer that he probably still has. Ben and I share the same birthday, August 3rd. Yeah. Um, he was a decent worker, and you guys got along so, like a house on fire. Yeah. So we'll email back and forth at least once a year on our birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, try and see him every time we go back. Yeah. Yeah. Good dude. It was pretty great. Drew had to learn how to uh, adjust to New the Zealand's way system. of uh, measuring which is the metric, which makes sense. But when you're yeah. brought up in another way, it's hard to adjust yeah. your brain. Even uh, though... Give me a 1,200 two-way. 1,200. What is 1,200? I have to pull out my tape measure and be like, oh, it's about a foot. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way that we do stuff, the way that we lay houses, the way we do doors, our plumbing, everything was real different. But different system. It was really, really good. The sun was harsher. Drew learned that. Yeah. Can't go out without sunscreen or long sleeves. Yeah, you got about 10 minutes, and, and then you're going to get burned. Cooked. <laughs> yeah. I could it's spend crazy. all summer here without any sunscreen and be just fine. Yeah. We got good food, good people, and it was a good time. Yep. Yeah, it was a good time. We could live in New Zealand. Yep. It's a if, great place. Yeah, if uh, anyone's got a job for Drew... We could live in New Zealand. We've <laughs> we've nailed it down to 
living in uh, Rotorua because they have good mountain biking there and it's close to all my family. So we could live there. If we moved to New Zealand, that's where we're going to live. Right, babe? Yep. So you like to dress well and are a little out there with some of your clothing. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? (laughs) (laughs) I like clothes. I like to dress nice. I would never assume to buy Drew clothing. I'm just going to put that out there. Drew doesn't want me to buy him clothes. I think Yet Drew's brother is dressed by his wife. He doesn't care about what he wears as long as it's comfortable Whereas I could never do that for you. Comfort is... Like your sister buys her husband clothes, not us. No. (laughs) No, I think you got to be comfortable in what you're wearing. And if you're comfortable in what you're wearing, then you're going to be confident in what you're doing. So I like to pick what I wear because I want to be comfortable in it. I want to like it. If I don't like it, then I'm not going to be comfortable in it. And then I'm not going to be confident. So I like to pick my own clothing. I like, uh, you know, I've got to dress nice for work. So found a, a good online tailor that makes custom shirts and you can pick your fabrics and your cuff type and color the buttons, color the stitching, reverse colors on the back of the collar and it's back side of the cuffs. All and, you. It's everything you like, details. Yeah. And it's... You know, for a custom shirt, it's just reasonably priced. Yeah. And uh, I get a lot of comments when I wear those shirts. A lot of people at work give me a hard time. (laughs) (laughs) They'll wear a shirt that's kind of like semi-fancy, but not really fancy, just kind of run-of-the-mill, but like, you know, will have a pattern on it or something, and... And they'll just comment about how they're trying to keep up with my fashion and be as cool <laughs> as me. And <laughs> you have but I'm not trying to be cool. I'm just... Being you. Just being me. Yeah. You got your fancy shoes. I do. I, People same, love those shoes. Same company. Uh, I found a pair of shoes. They were having a sale on them. And they were crocodile, wingtip, lime green, and cream. So they're a two-tone. And there the isn't, blue sole. There isn't a day that I don't wear those shoes that I don't get at least one comment Yep. about how cool those shoes are. Yep. And when I first got them, I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to wear these with. They don't really match anything. <laughs> but I played around with the different colors, and I like the green ones the best. They look mm-hmm. the best. Mm-hmm. You wear them all the time. But I think because they're so out there... They go with nothing, but yet they go with everything. <laughs> you wear them a lot. I do. You wear them a lot. Had a lady yeah. at Costco this last week. I was wearing it with kind of this orange gingham shirt, uh, blue slacks, and these lime green shoes. And she just was like, oh, my goodness, you just look so good. <laughs> and my buddy Rob, he's standing right next to me, and he's like, hey, what about me? And she's like, well, you look very Traditional. (laughs) (laughs) Robbie's like, yeah, thanks, thanks. (laughs) Robbie's a prosecutor, so he has to dress nicer than I do. So he was wearing, he wasn't wearing a jacket, but he was wearing a shirt and tie. Yeah. I never have to wear ties at work, thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like ties. 
You got a tupanu from my best friend Kat. Her husband gave you a tupanu, and you wear that to church. Yeah. And you get a lot of comments at church about wearing that tupanu. So tupanu is a Tongan version of the Samo and Lava Lava, which is, for lack of a better term, akin to a skirt or a dress. Wrap around. But the tupanu. Dress shirt. But the tupanu that I skirt. have is a dress tupanu, so it's meant for church, funerals, special occasions. It's not something you would just wear every day. It's not casual. So they look very nice. Yeah, and that's what so you like to wear. I wear that in the summertime because it's way cooler than wearing pants. <laughs> All these women, they come to church and they want to wear pants to church. I've got no idea why they want to wear pants. <laughs> you can wear a dress, and that's socially acceptable. Why would you not want to wear a dress? <laughs> Are you saying you wear a dress if it was socially acceptable? They're more comfortable. <laughs> They're cooler. You got that nice breeze going up. <laughs> why would you not want to wear a dress? I don't know. I don't know. Crazy people. Swat choices, I guess, right? So he likes his tupanu and people like it too. People love it. So you're pretty quiet. You don't really, you're not like me. We're quite opposite in that way. I'm like loud and kind of in your face and I enjoy talking to people. Like he said, he said it's hard to break me away from people from talking to them. I just get like in the moment, man. I get like involved with people. But you're quiet, man. You keep your cards close to your chest. You don't let too many people in too far. You know, you're mm. like, don't say too much. You're pretty quiet. How come? Um, I just don't feel like I need to say a lot. I don't think. The opposite of Takeshi. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the opposite of Takeshi. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like I don't need to toot my own horn. I don't want to be the center of attention. I definitely How don't. come? I don't know. I guess I just don't feel like my opinion's any better than anybody else's. And if people want my opinion, they'll ask for it, which I'll give it to them. <laughs> but sometimes I'm not going to freely give it because um, I don't want to come across as egotistical or prideful. And at the end of the day, people can be who they are. I'm going to be me, you be you, and life's good. Yeah. So you have a pretty good sense of self. Where do you think that comes from? Where does this confidence in yourself come from? I think the self-confidence comes from knowing who I am, and that is a son of God. And I think that confidence comes from Heavenly Father and from Jesus Christ. I've just always known who I am and what my purpose is. So I've always had that confidence to approach life in a very confident way. I don't need acceptance, though it is nice to be accepted. It is nice to have people say nice things about you, but at the end of the day, I don't need that to feel good about myself because I know who I am and I know where I come from. Yeah. 
You love to cook. Why do you love to cook? I do love to cook. I'm not as good a cook as my brother. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's a fantastic cook. Yeah, he is. Um, but I've learned a lot of recipes from him, which I'm grateful for. I like cooking because cooking is a mix between... Cooking is an art. Yeah. It's an art form. So I like that aspect of it. Um, I've always enjoyed art. Took yeah. art in high school. Drawing, um, photography. fairly good um, artist. Ceramics. Again, not as good as my brother. He was a fantastic artist, and I wish he still had time to draw because he was exceptional. He does art. Look at but, his house. Uh, yeah. And his cooking. Um, He's still doing it. Took ceramics. Love ceramics. Yep. But yeah, I like cooking because cooking's an art. Uh, it's a form of expression. And for the most part, people love food. So it's fun to cook for other people and to get that reaction of cooking something that tastes really good and then be excited about it. It is very satisfying. What's your favorite thing to cook? Well, there's probably two things I think that I do well. One is sushi. Yeah. And everybody seems to really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of not... I feel like that's not a high bar to please people because most people don't know how to cook sushi, make sushi... So it's something that they either get at a restaurant or they don't. So if you can bring that to their house, then they're just automatically kind of amazed. Oh, I've tried other people's at home cooked sushi and it's, yeah, that's well, no good. It's not something you learn overnight. Uh, my grandmother, she had a Japanese New Year's party every year where she would invite family and people from church over and you had an, a designated time to come over and she would spend the night before and all morning cooking and preparing. She'd make sushi and teriyaki chicken, she'd make crab, gobo, all these other Japanese dishes. And so I used to, when I got home from my mission, I would go over there and help her so that I could learn how to make sushi. Well, I think it was about four years of going and watching just watching she wouldn't let me roll anything till finally my uncle said mom he's been over here for four years now I think it's time you let him roll a sushi so she finally relented and and let me roll <laughs> some sushi but I learned uh, how to make sushi from grandma I still use her recipe for the sushi rice Though I'd make a different kind of sushi than she used to make. She used to make futomaki. I make a, mine a little different. I call it a maizuru roll. It's kind of a twist on a California roll. It's got cucumber and avocado and crab. Tobiko, which are flying fish eggs. Fresh salmon on the top with a thin slice of lemon on the top. And I think the lemon just kind of gives it that pop. Yeah. Kind of ties it all together. I like it. I wish you'd make it more. But it takes hours and hours and hours. It does take hours. Um it's not too bad if you're only making it for six or seven people. Yeah. But if you're making it for an entire dinner party, you're looking at 3 to 4 hours. Yeah. It's a lot. Standing. It's and a lot of prep. 
rolling and making it. Yeah, it's a lot of prep. The other two things that I like to make that most people seem to enjoy, both I got from my grandma, is her apple pie. Oh, yeah. And her peach cobbler. Yeah. Both of those are really good. Simple recipes. Yeah. But very good. I like my grandma's apple pie because it doesn't have any cinnamon, no nutmeg. Yeah. It's just apples. So you think it would taste gross, right? Because the apple pie you were brought up with has that. Yeah. And (laughs) then I'm like, this is going to be crap. And then you eat it and you're like, holy crap, this is like the best apple pie I've ever tried. And it's got, it's not traditional. No. And I like it too because she doesn't slice her apples. Mm-mm. She grates them. Yeah. With a cheese grater. Yeah. So they're... It's crazy. If you haven't tried Drew's apple pie, you're missing out. So you should try and figure that out. <laughs> And then figure out a sushi too. If Drew makes you an apple pie and sushi, pretty much the it crowd. Like, you're pretty lucky. You're pretty lucky. So, we're going to end on your last love. You love me and you love the kids. But you have another girlfriend and you love her the mostest. Tell me a little bit about her. Her name's Deborah. I love Deborah. She's not a she's not a small girl, but she's not a big girl either. She's got nice curves. Man, she handles off-road. She's a 1997 40th anniversary FZJ80 Land Cruiser. And she's my second love. My brother bought an FJ62 after his mission and I think that really started my love for Land Cruisers and uh, one of his buddies Brandon had an FJ40 and we used to go to Moab and go four-wheeling and so when I got off my mission before Moab was cool yeah (laughs) when we started going to Moab there was a McDonald's and a Best Western and there was no other chain down there everything else was local there was no campsites you could throw out your sleeping bag wherever you pleased, and you had the trails to yourself. It was awesome. It's not like Moab today where it's overrun with every Tom, Dick, and Harry. But that's where I started to fall in love with Land Cruisers. So when I got off my mission, I bought my sister's 1988 Toyota Camry, and I drove that for a month or so until I found a Land Cruiser. I bought a 91 FJ80. And we drove that for quite a few years. Till we went to law school, we found a. I always wanted the 40th anniversary 80 series because of the color. Antique Sage Pearl. Loved the color. Had two tone leather seats. And I just always loved that vehicle. So I found one really good price so we sold um, our Corolla and uh, eventually sold Layla my first Land Cruiser and it paid for Deborah and been slowly doing her up since you name what you love yep. and you love her yep she's a work in progress 
There's always stuff to add to it, build on it. But build a rear bumper, swing out, sliders, T-case guard, put an ARB front bumper on it, old man emu lift, bigger tires, just put on a Princey rack for our rooftop tent. Snorkel. Snorkel. Lots of good Christmas presents. Yeah, easy. <laughs> I talked to Drew's buddies, Kurt and his brother, and I'm like, what else would he need on his Land Cruiser? And they've always got ideas. Yeah. Ryan always says to me, his brother, he's always like, what's my budget? What's my budget? Give me a budget and I'll give you ideas. <laughs> he's been a true help over the years with gifts because I'm a crap gift giver and Drew's a really good gift giver. Drew like listens to what I say and then he stores it in the back of his head and then he comes up with great stuff for my birthday and Christmas. We don't give each other anniversary gifts and uh, not really Mother's or Father's Day either. No. It's just birthday and Christmas and he's always done a good job. I think out of the 20 Christmases we've spent together, I've maybe done a good job on by myself with no help, I've probably done a good job on maybe two of them, <laughs> maybe just one. I always get help, and I just am no good uh, without Drew's brother. Uh, Drew's birthdays and Christmases would look a lot different. <laughs> I think in her specific. defense, I'm probably difficult to buy for. You are difficult to buy for. You are. You're very I have a specific. Very specific taste. And like he's like, I want a bike for my light, so I get him a bike for his light, and he's like, not that bike light, <laughs> okay? I want a specific bike light, so I'll be taking this one back, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you're done then. We're done here, <laughs> all right? <laughs> get your own damn presents. <laughs> Freaking useless. So. Sally. <laughs> You just know what you want. So over the years, he has sometimes written me a list of things, that like a wish list. And so that lasted a few years. We've gone through that list, though. So probably need to do that again to help me out. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to share with the world, babe? I think that about covers it. I think that does cover it. I think we've talked about a lot of stuff. It's been pretty awesome. But if you got any questions, post them in the comment box. Yeah. We'll come back for round two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been amazing to be married to you. Likewise. Thanks for 20 years. Let's hope we get 20 more together. I know a lot of people yeah. don't. So we shouldn't take that for granted. Some people didn't even get their first 20 years together, and I know they wanted to. Yeah. So we're very, very blessed we're very, very blessed, and we know it. Absolutely. We have all of our children. People lose children. We have each other. We have all of our siblings. Touch wood. We've just been extremely blessed, and we know it. And we're very happy, and we're a work in progress. We're a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> we're learning. Yeah, but I think progressing together is what it's all about, right? I think it's been really, really good. I think it's been really good. It's about the journey. Yeah. It's been a good journey. I look forward to more of it. It should be awesome. Yep. All right. Well, I love you. 
Love you too. Thanks. Okay. So there you have it. There's my husband, Drew Nakaya. As his high school friend would call him, Drew Nakaya. As some other people call him, Drew. (laughs) I'm glad you got to know him a little bit more and a little bit more of who he is and what he's about. I started off with a movie quote and I'm going to end with a movie quote. And this is one of our favorite movies that we watch together. It's called Valentine's Day. And this is how I feel about Drew. It says, if you're ever with a girl that's too good for you, marry her. And I feel that way about Drew. I can't tell you how grateful I feel to be able to have found him. I don't know how we've made it. Uh, I honestly don't. I think with a lot of communication, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of sorries. I think we've made it with a lot of laughter, a lot of fun, a lot of prioritizing each other, a lot of humility. I think that we have created an awesome life together and I wouldn't do it with anybody else because I don't know anything else. Like he's my love and we're so so different from each other so different as people that know us know and I just am excited to be able to spend more time with him he's a good person a really good person he shows me when I need to be shown and he comforts me when I need to be comforted and when you find someone like that marry them and so we did We married each other and statistically it shouldn't have worked out, (laughs) but it did and I'll forever be grateful for that. He's the best person I know in real life and of course I was going to have him on the Candid Kiwi and I'm sure his story being captured will forever be gold to my children. Had I been able to have an interview with my father, that would have been everything to me. So this is really dedicated to my children so that they can have their father's story captured forever and to my brother Bevan who hassled us about hurrying up and getting this interview out for him to listen to he's one of my biggest fans him and my sister and a few other people which I appreciate so thanks for being with me Kakitiano kite